Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. And a very good morning. Happy Friday, everybody. Mick Mulcahy in for the last programme before Neil's return on Monday morning. Let's get a look at the morning papers. Mum fought to fend off her killer, Mossy. Uh, no motive for horror murders. Uh, it's all over the papers again for a second day. It's a little bit sensationalist and a little bit macabre, I think. Uh, all of these uh, newspapers know very, very little and they're making huge headlines uh, out of this tragedy. Murdered mum Eileen O'Sullivan fought bravely for her life before she and her son Jamie were blasted to death. It emerged last night. Jamie, Eileen and her partner Mossy were found at their Kerry farm after an apparent murder-suicide. That's the front of the sun. No motive for horror murders, uh, says the big headline in the front of the mirror. Mystery is Gardy's struggle for answers to why farmer shot partner's son and himself. Detectives last night said they'd no motive for the double murder-suicide that wiped out a family. Uh, the Star also has the higher spread among kids during breaks than school. Uh, the highest incidence of COVID-19 in children took place during school holidays. A HSE briefing has heard prior to the summer break this year, there were on average 1,000 cases per week among 0 to 18-year-olds, but this figure rose to between 3,500 and 4,000 a week when children were out of school. HSE Public Health Specialist Dr. Abby Collins said this was a reflection of stringent test and trace protocols and strict mitigation measures implemented in school settings. So that's kind of saying school is a safer place uh, for children to be uh, than out of school. And the Independent also talks about schools today. Schools told not to jump the gun on COVID contacts. School principals have been warned not to jump the gun and start deciding which children are close contacts of COVID cases. Children do not need to be removed immediately from school if another pupil tests positive for COVID-19, says a HSE expert. They can attend class for several days until public health teams arrive to assess their risk, according to Dr Abigail Collins. Once again, Dr Collins, the HSE lead for schools, said the visit by public health teams could happen within four to seven days. That won't do a lot to uh, assuage the anguish of parents, I imagine. And uh, if the schools do jump the gun and uh, take all of the kids out, uh, you know, before the public health uh, teams arrive. It's going to have enormous consequences uh, in the private sector, at least, whatever about the public sector. Winter sting of rising prices, uh, says the Mail's front page today. Budget tax breaks are urged as 10-year inflation high uh, impacts on cost of fuel, food and clothing. And in a sense that the public have uh, kind of taken enough. I heard Michael McGrath on the news uh, today saying uh, kind of saying positive things about the budget. Uh, I think families facing a harsh winter uh, with the price of fuel and food and other essentials uh, surging at an unrelenting rate are entitled after the uh, long 18 months we've had to a decent budget. And ahead of next month's budget, economists have warned that thousands of workers may need a tax break to help offset soaring energy, clothing and transport costs as inflation jumps to a 10-year high. New figures from the CSO lay bare exactly how much of a pinch the approaching winter will have on households with oil prices almost 40% higher than what households paid last year. I think I paid about €420 Euros for 1,000 litres of oil last year. It's 670 now or something. So that's a dramatic increase. Families in crisis, says the Echoes front page. A charity speaking out about the challenges facing parents. The head of a Cork charity has spoken of the challenges being faced by families living in emergency accommodation who don't have access to the resources to even make their children school lunches. Check that out in the Echo and on the front page. Convicted murderer attacked wife at home. Also says the uh, Echo. A convicted murderer who attacked his wife and tried to rip off her eyelash extensions at their home in West Cork 
has had the balance of a jail sentence suspended. Judge Shona Gunavon imposed an 18-month jail term, noted that the accused had already been remanded in custody on the charge for almost a year and suspended whatever remained of the 18 months. Cork protest over lack of housing, also says the Echo. Housing activists in Cork City have organised a protest calling for an end to the ongoing housing crisis. Supported by Sinn Féin, People Before Profit, Solidarity, Travellers of North Cork and Catu Cork, the National Homeless and Housing Coalition is holding a socially distant rally in Cork City tomorrow afternoon. Martin wants Fianna Fáil members to unite. We're getting a lot from the Echo today, uh, so well done to them. Dominic McGrath reporting that Taoiseach Micheál Martin said yesterday that he wants his party to unite as its members gathered at the Fianna Fáil Thinking in Cavan. Speaking to reporters, Mr Martin insisted he intended to remain as leader despite internal opposition from some party members. I've been a member of Parliament for many, many years. I've rarely ever seen unanimity on many issues, including who leads the party. And that's not news. And my challenge is to hear people. Uh, my job is to listen. And I think what's important coming out of this meeting is that the party unites. Earlier yesterday, Sean Fleming, the Fianna Fáil TD, charged with writing a report into the party's electoral fortunes in recent years, insisted he did not see any prospect of a challenge to the Taoiseach when the Parliamentary Party meets for the Think-In in uh, County Cavan. Plan to stub out Siggies in Ireland by 2025. The ministers are vowing to end the lethal habit. Louise Kennedy reporting in the Mirror that a new report has set a target for Ireland to be tobacco-free by the year 2025. In that sense, I think we can expect the, the cigarette price increase uh, that happens every year to be probably significant in the next budget. A high-level action plan for tobacco-free Ireland was published in March 2015, and each year the Department of Health reports updates on its progress. The organisation's annual report outlined several key achievements in 2020, including the launch of a new quit marketing campaign by HSE National Communications and the HSE Tobacco Free Ireland programme, The Last Stop. Uh, so best of luck with that one. That is not going to be easy to do in four years. Irish loss honoured at event. The nearly 3,000 people and first responders killed in the 9-11 attacks have been honoured at an event in Dublin. At least 18 Irish citizens were killed in the September 11th terrorist attacks. Dennis Keeley, Acting Chief Officer of Dublin Fire Brigade and Shard Affair, Alexandra McKnight, uh, laid a wreath at a memorial which includes a piece of steel from the World Trade Centre. Let's go to the mirror. And the caring nature of a courageous Irishman killed in the 9-11 atrocity is set to be remembered as the family of nine big victims born on this island prepare to pay tribute to their loved ones 20 years on. Michael Stewart from Newton Abbey in County Antrim was on the 92nd floor of the North Tower the day terrorists struck. And at 8.46am, the building was the first of the iconic World Trade Centre towers to be hit by an airliner. The 42-year-old father of three, unable to open jammed security doors, battled to help colleagues make it down to the street. They reached the 11th floor before the colossal skyscraper collapsed. Of course, all of that 20th anniversary is uh, tomorrow, the 11th of September. I always wondered, was 911 chosen by the terrorists? Because it's the, uh, it's the emergency. We do 999 here. It's 911 in America. Was that just a, another cruel twist to uh, their plans? Having too much free time can be bad for you, says Colin Fernandez in the mail. When juggling the demands of work in a busy personal life, many of us have found ourselves wishing for a few extra hours of me time. But far from offering respite, too much free time may actually be bad for our mental health, according to US researchers. Although happiness increases with the amount of leisure time available, this is only up to a point. More than five hours of free time a day actually causes greater stress and lower well-being. 
the study added. You've got to keep busy. Researchers from the University of Pennsylvania and UCLA looked at the data for more than 21,700 people who took part in the survey. And as part of that study, they'd been asked to give a detailed account of what they'd done during the previous 24 hours and report their sense of well-being. And uh, it uh, did come through that having too much free time uh, was a distraction, led to overeating, comfort eating, uh, too much watching of television and the likes. The findings were published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. And one more, uh, how to put mites to bed, says the star. It may be a chore, but simply making the bed every day is good for both physical and mental health, say the experts. The simple daily task of making the bed gets rid of dust mites, prevents stale smells, but also gives a sense of accomplishment that can boost productivity, said a report in Make Your Bed Day. I remember seeing uh, one of the top uh, generals, I think, in the U.S. Army giving a speech, and it was all about making the bed. Uh, and he said that's the start to every productive day. you probably find that on YouTube. But anyway, bed brand Sealy's sleep expert, Alison Johns, said many people rise from their sheets without remaking the bed behind them. Mostly fellas, I'd say. I have that habit. But uh, making your bed each morning, it allows your bedding to be stretched out. Therefore, dust mites are exposed to daylight and to clean air, causing them to dry out. And as we uh, just approach the business end of the program and start taking calls and the business of the day, uh, of, of the day. and in Neil's absence, I just want to uh, send the team's commiserations to our good friend, John Murphy, known as Johnny John, whose mum, Chrissy, passed away yesterday. Our thoughts are with you, John, and uh, we'll be there uh, to give her the good old send-off she deserves. Chrissy Murphy, 27 Friars Walk. Uh, to John and the extended family, we wish our condolences. The Neil Prenderville Show. Neil O'Dowd is uh, editor of the Irish Vice. Neil, good afternoon to you. Joe, how are you? What's, what's uh, happening? It's the World Trade Center? World Trade Center. We've had two planes crashed into the World Trade Center. Uh, one as little as 18 minutes ago. And mm-hmm. Caught live on television here. And uh, absolutely horrendous, Joe. Um, just people are very scared about what's happened. Was it a terrorist incident? Uh, mm-hmm. It's just some navigational problem that planes are, uh, you know, been dragged into this. Or, or what, what's happening? Absolutely unbelievable. Hang on. There is a word now of a possible plane hijacking. The plane was hijacked before the crashes. Oh, good guys. So this is obviously, Joe, this is obviously a suicide bomber uh, if it was hijacked before the crash. So far as we now know, both both the buildings, both these huge towers, home to 50,000 um, people, a workplace for 50,000 people, both these buildings now gone, so far as we can see. It was a Boeing 767 that was a second aircraft. That's a large passenger aircraft. We're told there was something of the order of 158 passengers and crew on board. It had been hijacked earlier. The 6-1 News with Brian Dobson and Una O'Hagan. Hijacked aircraft crash into the World Trade Center in Manhattan in New York. The two huge towers collapse. The Pentagon is also struck in what appears to be a series of coordinated terrorist attacks. And I've ordered that the full resources of the federal government go to help the victims and their families and and to conduct a full-scale investigation to hunt down and to find those folks who committed this act. 
Good evening and welcome to 6-1. Emergency services in the United States are struggling to cope with the scale of the massive disaster which saw terrorist attacks on at least three major targets. The two towers of the World Trade Center have collapsed after planes crashed into both. Up to 70,000 people usually work in the two towers and the surrounding area. The Pentagon has also been evacuated after being struck by an American Airlines jet. At least one further passenger jet has crashed in Pittsburgh and a number of others are still unaccounted for. The first aircraft crashed into the World Trade Center building at 10 minutes to 9 local time as thousands of people were making their way to work. American television networks began broadcasting the scene live around the world. And 18 minutes later, the world watched as another airliner crashed into the second of the towers. One of the planes involved in the crashes was a Boeing 767, which was reported to be hijacked en route from Los Angeles to Boston. There may have been as many as 158 people on board. The 1,400-foot-high buildings blazed for over an hour, while down below there was complete chaos as New York's emergency services tried to evacuate the buildings. Eyewitnesses reported seeing bodies plunging from the towers. Then at 10 a.m. local time, the first of the World Trade Center towers collapsed. At half past 10, one hour and 40 minutes after the initial plane attack, the second of the World Trade Center towers crumbled. piece. It's very powerful. It's very poignant. It's very sad. It was put together by our own Mark Wellington and I thank him for that. It brings back the trauma, the power of uh, the media and uh, everybody trying to scramble for information on that day, 20 years ago tomorrow. Good morning, Mark Clifford. Good morning, Mick. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Your story is remarkable because of uh, the ups and downs that you faced on that day. I mean, plummeting the depths yeah. From uh, from you know the highs of relief twenty years ago tomorrow uh, on Tuesday September eleventh uh, two thousand and one you were in Dublin you were attending the funeral of a friend uh, you're from Cork of course you'd driven to the capital for the day and you were at a reception following the funeral when you caught sight of a TV screen and you thought it was a movie can you take it from there yeah. from that point on um, uh, I just thought straight away that um, I had been talking to my brother Ron the night before and I knew he was at that site he was in the he was in the World Trade Center. And I immediately uh, tried to make contact with him. Uh, just literally took out my phone and started phoning him and I couldn't get through to him and um I decided just to start heading home immediately. Um and um so I, I went to the car park in uh, in where I was parked in St. Stephen's Green and by the time I got to the car I hadn't made contact with Ron. Uh, Ron, um, uh, so Ron uh, told me that he had been involved in 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 in, in the most incredible um, incident, and he was making his way home back to New Jersey. What was he in the building, Mark? Ron was in the building. Um, so Ron was getting ready for a meeting. Um, he was just in the lobby. Um, he heard uh, an explosion outside on the street. And at that point, he uh, turned around and he saw uh, somebody out on the street in distress. Uh, he 
rings right back out the revolving doors came that he came in earlier on and he pulled this uh, lady who literally was on fire um, if, you could, if you know about that basically the, the fuel from the um, from the plane that had crashed above him had, had spread fire and devastation on all, most of the streets around the uh, World Trade Center Wow, so already immediately after the impact there were people in in bad, bad distress on the ground even. Absolutely. There was a lot of uh, plane debris had, had fallen to the ground. A lot of plane debris and, and, and the building at that point was on fire. This lady was, uh, her name was Ginny Ann Mathia. And he pulled Ginny Ann in, into the building and he managed to pull uh, a tablecloth from one of the um, restaurants uh, on the bottom floor and, and cover her. Uh, such were her injuries. Um, she, literally, her, her her entire hair had melted into her head. Oh. Uh, so, um, quite ironically, uh, so while he was trying, to, he was screaming for people to help him and give Jenny Ann uh, first aid. About probably ten minutes into that point, a first aider did arrive, and they both worked on Jenny Ann with you at, at that particular time. What was the outcome for Jenny Ann? Jenny Ann died about two weeks later from her injuries. Wow! And um, in, in in another twist is that her parent, her her parents, and her family were deeply grateful for Ron for getting Jenny Ann out of the building. Um, so while they were treating Jenny Ann, um, Ruth's plane um, hit the tower. Ron wasn't to know this, and um, so the paramedics said to Ron, "Let's." get the hell out of here so they tried to make for the door and such were Jenny Ann's injuries when people looked back and they they were shouting make way make way and they just people looked back in awe and cleared a path for Ron and the medics to, to, to exit the building Wow um, and, and of course you, you mentioned Ruth this is the most ironic twist of fate and tragic twist of fate because you're on your way home now and you're flushed yes. with a relief uh, that Ron is talking to you he's safe He's on his way home to New Jersey. He's had a traumatic day. He's come to the aid of somebody that you know he hoped would survive. Uh, so you're still driving and you're making your way to be with your family in Cork. And then you received a call. And then uh, the, the biggest uh, problem that Ireland had with uh, the United States at that point is that landlines seemingly went down or were shut down. And I had a uh, perfect connection to, so I was perfect connection to ringing um, Ruth's husband, Davis, and, um, and and Ron. So I was able to relay messages back into, uh, into Cork to my other brother, John. Uh, subsequently rang David and David said he was worried about Ruth because um, Paige, Ruth's godmother, Ruth and Juliana were dropped off at Logan um, that morning to fly to LAX. Um, L- L- Logan being the Boston yeah, main airport. Yeah, uh, yeah Boston airport. And um, he was worried that th- they were mid-flight or in-flight. Uh, we then sent a family member down to to Logan Airport in Boston just to just to hang out there to see is was information being given out, and um, I also contacted um, contacts that I would had in the Boston Globe, and they um, sent somebody down there straight away to have a to to, to see could they get information from us as well. I I remember very well that day trying to get through to friends in America. 
Uh, I remember going for a beer that evening on the way home uh, and trying and trying on behalf of somebody else, a nurse who was in the in the pub, absolutely distraught. She could not contact a family member. And after five or six, maybe seven tries, the phone rang in uh, on the other end. I just passed it to her. And you could yeah. see that she almost collapsed with relief. Uh, I was just lucky to get through, I imagine. Uh, you weren't so lucky with the information that came back your way. No. So the information was that um, Ruth was on the plane. Um, I had tried to contact Ruth the night before and I left a message in her answering machine, but I presumed that she, she was on vacation. And um, then it just, the, the whole thing uh, manifested that uh, Juliana was with her and Paige was with her. And um, they both were in separate planes that took off 15 minutes apart and ended up in the 9-11 attack. Um, wow. So that was very hard to digest, and uh, I had to stop the car several times on the way and just take this deep breath. For, it was very surreal the whole um, the whole day. Yeah. Okay, that's a very very personal. Uh, you were, you weren't even home at that stage. You still had to continue no, your journey I wasn't. home. So, yeah. So I, I immediately made my way to my brother's family and uh, and uh, just to, to be with them and uh, just. Uh, uh, really, but we were thanking that we had Ron safe. We uh, it was we we're still unsure. You know, could have could Ruth have been in another plane? Could have whatever. But by the time I reached Cork, um, Ruth Ruth had been confirmed that she and Juliana had been on the plane. Mm. Have you ever come to terms with the fact that one family member was in and had the the lucky escape, and then it, from Boston, it, it, yeah. uh, you, it's you know, crazy. Two people setting off that day, and it was a beautiful day. Um, you know, two, two different um, things that, that they could end up in, in, in one of um, the you know memorable changing of the world's um, politics. And that two could be involved in the same incident. One from Boston yeah. uh, arriving at the place where the other was working, uh, yeah. and, and of course the the loss of a child's life as well. Yeah. Um, the Clifford family are all from Cork. Of course, you're just We're one of Cork. Yeah, Ruth. Ruth was born in Cork, and um, uh, she lived in New London, in Connecticut. She lived in, and worked in Boston, where she was quite a successful businesswoman with uh, with her own beauty spas. And when her husband um, David got ill there, she literally packed in her work and and, and concentrated on getting David uh, well. Um, David was. That was before, uh, just before nine eleven, and um, the um, where she lived in New London. But she, she always maintained um, an Irish identity. An Irish, she wanted Juliana to have an Irish identity. She definitely made regular trips to Ireland, and we made regular trips over to Ruth to um, to spend holiday time with her and and, and quality time with her. Ruth was 44, her daughter Juliana was just four. Uh, yeah. And I'm looking at a picture of them here and, and, and they're smiling, two gorgeous human beings taken so tragically. Um, 20 years ago tomorrow, uh, I know yeah. Joe Biden is going to be president, Joe Biden is going to be at the uh, the commemoration ceremony there. He'll then uh, go on to, is it is it Shanksville or Shank uh, in uh, where, where the second plane, and then he'll go to the, um, sorry, the third, the third plane, yeah. and then he'll go to the Pentagon to lay a wreath there. Uh, and um, how will your family meet or or commemorate will, and remember will, tomorrow? Yeah. We got Ruth's um, body back about um, nine months after the, uh, the 9-11 attack. Uh, 
they, we got a phone call from the FBI and they said they were willing to release Ruth's body. And so we said, yeah, we have, we would love to have her in Cork back where her roots are. And um, about 18 months later then, we um, they had Juliana found and um, we were able to put the two of them together. So they're side by side and, and David, Ruth's husband, died about... Um, eight years ago, so all three in that little family unit are, are uh, interred in the um, uh, St. Finbar Cemetery on Glashine Road in Cork. And it, it, it's known uh, locally as the 9-11 grave, and it, they get as many visitors as Tomás McCartan and the, the uh, Republican heroes who are in that graveyard as well. Because it's a family, and, and you know, and almost uh, an entire, almost an entire family taken so needlessly. Of course, uh, her husband's death, uh, husband's death followed. When, when you say, when you say found Juliana, do you mean identified DNA wise? Yeah, they found. Uh, yeah, they identified Juliana, and, and they had remains for us to bury. Yeah, so to, to cremate and only four. Uh, Mark, can you tell me a little about her? She was, uh, she was, first of all, she arrived very late in uh, Ruth's life. Ruth was 40 when she had Juliana. Um, everything was right about Juliana. She was graceful. She was a smiley little child. Um, she was the apple of Ruth's eye. The two of them together, it just lit up the room while they were there. And... Um, the, Juliana lived, uh, had a little pr- princess existence and she was a princess in Ruth's world. She had a little princess, a miniature-sized bathroom in the house. She had her own bed- uh, bedroom on suite. Everything and anything was done for Juliana. Um, she, was, she was a beautiful little child, yeah. Mm. And when you look at the loss of life that's uh, ensued in the last 20 years and the occupation of Afghanistan and the very messy withdrawal from there now as well, that was all precluded by this uh, by this terrorist attack. But to date, um, not many of the suspected terrorists have had their day in court. Does that make you angry? That makes me... I'm quite annoyed by uh, that fact that America has a First Amendment and one of the, one of the rights that American citizens have in the First Amendment is a right to a speedy trial. They there doesn't seem to be any uh, stomach in any, and there's been several administrations in America since the 9/11 attack for um, bringing this uh, whole case further. They have um, one of the main perpetrators in Guantanamo Bay, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who is was educated in the United States, um, a, a devout Muslim, but that's nothing to do but a very very um, strange person he was the person who um, also held the head of um, McGorter he was a New York Times um, reporter um, in one of the these uh, awful Al-Qaeda uh, videos that they were showing at the time in around the in around the 2000-2001 where they were um, executing people at will so Khalid is is in there. He is quite an educated person and one of the main designers of the nine eleven attack, and hasn't been dealt with to this day. Yeah, mm. I remember um, reading a Tom Clancy book in which, fictionally, he crashed a seven four seven into the uh, into the Capitol building uh, um, in his series of books in which uh, his his agent became the president of the United States. And I was thinking to myself, 
you know, it's, it's a very far-fetched idea. Uh, but imagine if somebody got hold of that idea and used it. And, and lo and behold, not three or four years later, uh, the yeah, biggest was- biggest missile in the world, easily taken. Um, it, it did, of course, have the, uh, as did the uh, Titanic disaster, have implications for safety uh, that were then implemented. And those doors now cannot be breached again into the cockpit uh, and, and that kind of thing. Uh, in the 20 years that have passed, has it come in, become any easier for you? Is the void still there? Not really, you know, it's still very thrill. It's incredible. It's it's almost like being caught in the middle of a Liam Fleming novel, like an arch villain uh, was able to perpetrate such an incredible, um, you know, horror on the world. Um, and that's that's kind of where my mind state was on that day. But but we're but you know we love Ruth and we love you know on Saturday we'll celebrate Ruth's life mm-hmm. and we'll celebrate Juliana's life short life and we'll celebrate Juliana's godmother's life Paige as well and so I I'm the custodian of a lot of Ruth's personal photographs and um, so some that my family mightn't have seen yet or whatever I'm going to take out and make a, a montage of uh, Ruth's life uh, in photographs on her visits to Ireland and our visits to the United States. To so something family. new for the family to view tomorrow, even in a poignant yes, sense. Yes, yeah. yeah. It, it, it will maintain the connection, I imagine. Mark, thank you so much. You're from Passage West okay. in Cork. Uh, yeah. you, you've had such a deep and personal loss. You've had the relief of, the, of, of your brother. Uh, great support with, with friends and, and people from Cork, uh, you know, who are absolutely fabulous to us and have been throughout the years. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and as well as Paige, of course, uh, we wish you the best in remembering Ruth and little Juliana tomorrow, the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Thank you, Mark. Okay. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. And our listeners are transmitting their uh, personal memories of 9-11 to, uh, to us by text on 0868-104-106. Noreen Crowley says we were living in Boston. It was chaos all day. Phones were not working. Boston was evacuated. Everyone glued to the TV. A very sad time. Elmo Callan said I was at a training course in Belfast. Someone heard the news and when the TV was turned on, the first image was the tower collapsing. Shocked doesn't even begin to cover it. I lived in New York City for six years, three of those in Manhattan and New Jersey for nine years. Uh, I knew people who worked there, used to go to the Windows of the World restaurant on the 106th floor of the South Tower, where my friend Marie worked, the beautiful marble foyer, and the view down the Hudson River. The site of the Lady in the Harbour in Staten Island, beautiful sights. Uh, I also know a smart Dublin woman who got out of the North Tower that day. She was told to stay at her desk by security. She said, feck that, I'm leaving. Uh, and I watched the footage for weeks, a day in infamy that will never be forgotten. Rest in peace to all those who died so tragically. Christine O'Donnell Martin said, I was on family holiday, on a family holiday in Portugal. I walked into a bar for lunch and saw it on the telly. We thought at first it was some disaster movie. It was pretty scary flying home a few days later. The army were everywhere with guns. I was in New York a few years ago and went to Ground Zero and the Underground Museum. The saddest thing I've seen. I think the Americans did a very uh, fitting tribute uh, in those uh, two uh, squares, I think they are squares, uh, in the exact side of where the towers stand, which is the Waterfall Memorial now. Uh, and of course, to uh, declare their independence again by building the one 
uh, tower back that they built. Is it called Freedom Tower? 1776 feet high, if I remember, which is a, a statement towards the year of their declaration of independence. Deirdre McCarthy said, I was at home and my late mother uh, came in to tell me. Then we were glued to the TV all day. It was horrific. All the poor victims. We'll take one more. Kevin Ahern said, I was sleeping after doing my night duty for two weeks. Uh, or two... Two week old, sorry, my night duty for our two year, uh, two week old son, Dylan Ahern. Sorry. My wife woke me and told me we were under attack. Uh, and I got up. I worked with one of the NYPD officers that died that day, Glenn Pettit, uh, while I was an instructor at the police academy. Rest in peace, Glenn, and all the heroes that made the ultimate sacrifice that day. Uh, Dearmid, good morning. Good morning. Uh, I hope, it, I hope people will, will remember this, that, um, the, when these fire officers who were injured, and many of them didn't develop their injuries till till after the event because of um, the inhalation of the dust, that you know there's all kinds of poisons. That they, uh, when those people start to get medical treatment, their their insurance companies said, "Oh, you're not." And these sorry, we five, missed we missed that. The insurance company said, "What? You're not covered." No. Their union had to sue the American government to get medical treatment. Well, okay, the phone is breaking up a little bit. Most of these guys would now have passed on, would they? No. Sorry, Jimmy. Yeah, we're not hearing you at all. Can you move to a different place, just slightly, if you could? Yeah, no, no, I'm I'm still... (laughs) Can you hear me? Yeah, you're back again now. Yeah, good, brilliant. No, because when when these injured went to get medical treatment. Their insurance companies turned them down after a, a bit of time. Like, and, and then, uh, so their unions had to go to the, sue the American government to get them to pay. And, they, and the American government fought tooth and nail to prevent, uh, to prevent a kind of a precedent. Okay. They'd have to pay for their, their workers yeah, while while always publicly glorifying the first responders, firefighters, Mostly. and oh police my department, God. yeah, Glo- the glorification of them, and then furthermore, um, now th- this is not a criticism, but this is this is the facts. Um, there was a huge inquiry really, into how the fire officers reacted and the emergency service, and that you know, kind of, which is a crucial, you know, kind of for God forbid, what happened again, and they did find that very very sadly. The, the fire officers in particular were very poorly led because, you know, they, they just, it was, um, they, they were, um, you know, okay, they did their job, God bless them, but the, the people who, did, you know, who found the, you know, who, who did the inquiry just as, God, they shouldn't have done that, they shouldn't have done this, they should never have, whatever, whatever, you know. Yeah, well, well there was individual acts of huge bravery and sacrifice and yeah, loss of life. So. As a consequence, and also of them died needlessly, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, no criticism or anything, but, 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 but that's how it is, you know. Please God, they, you know, kind of, they, they have, they've learned from their mistakes. Whatever their training was, they would they, never have trained they, for something like that. Oh, no, you couldn't. You couldn't, possibly. And uh, there, there was, and, and very, very sadly, the minute, the, effectively, the dust settled and I saw President Bush come out, I just thought to myself, God, we're on war footing here. Okay, there's been a savage attack, but we're, you know, we're on war footing. And 20 years later, they scuttle out of Afghanistan. 
Yeah, if, if there's a wonderful movie, it's based on a true story, and I think he should have got the Oscar for it instead of, no offence to Rami Malek, his portrayal of Freddie Mercury, uh, but uh, Christian Bale should have got the Oscar for Vice that year. Now, if you want to look more into the aftermath of 9-11, have a look at that movie. It's called Vice, uh, detailing, right, yeah. the, uh, detailing the story of uh, how an innocuous oil worker uh, became the most powerful man in the world as the vice president under George W. Bush. Have a look at that one. Uh, you said thousands of firefighters uh, were, were fired as well. That's right, thousands of firefighters. Uh, but four years later, a number, well, four or five years later, uh, New York went through an economic, you know, it was, it was whatever the, you know, things happen, you know, kind of where we, we go through economic um, uh, cycles, you know. New York was chronically short of money and they sacked about a thousand firefighters at least and they were described as public service leeches. <laughs> now, thank you very much, isn't it? Wow, lovely? that's the that's that's their just yeah, rewards, but, but not. See, isn't it? Isn't, what, what a tragedy that that stories like that aren't aren't. Uh, They're not the ones that make the headlines, here, you know. Yeah, yeah, but but but, but that but you see, there's a massive callousness. You have to understand about American about about American um, uh, culture and that, and particularly uh, leadership and all that. There's this callousness that's there. That um, uh, you know, kind of, it, it's you know, kind of, we're we're not as harsh here. <laughs> and and a final thing, a final thing, it's one of these. It's it's this story of a Spanish woman who wasn't very well. Let's face it, and she flew into New York on the fifteenth of September. This all emerged about one year, two years possibly after the event. Now she passed herself off as a survivor of. Um, one of the towers, and she, she, you know, she clung on to some of the families, and they got enormous comfort from her, thinking that she had been. Now, apparently, she didn't make money out of it, or I believe she just wanted know. the empathy and to be included. She, she in wanted, the... Yeah, no, she, she wanted to be. She wanted. She she was kind of a wannabe, I suppose, in a way. Um, she wanted. She wanted to be part of it, well. and for for you know, she she had psychiatric trouble she got to have you know to pass yourself off as and to go before the cameras and to it wasn't till somebody from the new york times a, a junior reporter just as typical just exposed um, her you know just, just well just just asked a few questions like you know kind of so when did you arrive in america wow. eventually the manifest of all the passenger lists and all that and and your man he went through he plowed through all the the details in the day pre-internet Wow. And he found her name, 15th of September. That's she very sad as well. She had nothing to do with tragic story. Uh, but Dermot, the, th the thanks family. for coming on about the yeah, firefighters and standing for anyway. them. Absolutely. God bless them all. Thank, Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Now, uh, I want to get a mention in for our Free Food Friday. It's been Friday, of course. We're going to have pizza delivered to your home, possibly, or your workplace, possibly. you got to enter the competition first. It's with Oak Fire Pizza, Real Wood Fire Pizza in Clonakilty, Bandon, Princess Street, Galabi Street and Douglas Village. you just got to text Free Food Friday to 086-8104-106. With Oak Fire Pizza, we'll be delivering Real Wood Fire Pizza. And, of course, it's oakfirepizza.ie. And you can avail of their wonderful services in Clonakilty, Bandon, Princess Street, Galabi Street 
and Douglas Village. So give us a text, Free Food Friday, 0868104106. Talk to Neil Prenderville now, 1851-04106, Red FM. Now I want to get to some uh, texts and communications with the programme in an attempt to clear the decks really for Neil coming back on Monday. I have a text in from Donna Donovan in Union Hall to say, Good morning, Mick. Nice to hear you all week. If you wouldn't mind, could you please announce that Bingo will return on Wednesday, October 6th in Union Hall Community Hall. Uh, all going well. Uh, October 6th for the return of Bingo there, says Donna Donovan, the chairman. That reminds me that I did uh, promise to mention briefly uh, the staycation, uh, all, of course, uh, in West Cork, all on the water, not in any elitist way, uh, just in case Mick Barry is listening, but uh, from Kinsale, uh, you know, with the fabulous dock bar there and the white lady down to uh, Court McSherry, uh, the lifeboat and the community there uh, buzzing uh, as we headed west on the water and then to Union Hall and Glandor. There's been an amount of money spent on a, on a premises in Union Hall called the Dock Wall. Uh, you wouldn't see it in a city. Absolutely fantastic. So hi to Nikki and all the crew there. Martin uh, in Dinties uh, in Union Hall as well. And then we spent a good few days, maybe 10 days, in ba- being based in the Baltimore area. And Baltimore, I think, has it all. You can get fuel there, courtesy of uh, Kieran Cotter. Uh, there's two hotels there, the wonderful Casey's and the uh, wonderful, and I mean wonderful, uh, run establishment that is Jacob's and the Waterfront. Uh, Ewan and uh, Ewan and Katie Jacob there doing a fantastic show. And, of course, the uh, coxswain of the uh, Bally, uh, of the Baltimore lifeboat, lifeboat uh, Aidan, and uh, Marion and everyone in Bush's Bar. Uh, well done. And there's a new, um, well, there's a new team running the Algiers Bar, and they're all the way from San Diego. And they're bringing a little sort of a Californian twist to the cuisine there. And that is uh, Bill and Anne. Uh, so uh, hi to you guys, and the best of luck with your new business. And I think Baltimore's perfect. Uh, love Skull, love Crookhaven, but in Baltimore you can get to them all, you can get to Cape Clear. And I uh, found a little bit of uh, friction on Cape Clear, to be honest. Uh, if you buy a sandwich in that place, you can't sit there. And if you buy a coffee in that place, you can't sit there. I think all of the Cape Clear businesses should be pulling together, but that's just me. Anyway, no better place to have a staycation than in West Cork. Beverly Elizabeth O'Brien says, I just started second year uh, in, in secondary school. Uh, I'll never forget seeing it on the TV when I came home. We're talking about 9-11. Chris Healy had just collected kids from primary school. It was on the radio on the news at 3 p.m. I came home to my next door neighbor uh, standing at her door watching for me. She was as white as a sheet. Her brother lives in New York. Thankfully, he was safe, but we'll never forget. Kira McNulty said, I was in maths class. Teacher came in with utter shock and told us normally a great crack he was but uh, utterly shook that day. It's a sad world we live in. Noreen O'Driscoll said I was at work when it came on the radio and everyone just stopped what they were doing for about an hour. We couldn't believe what we were hearing. My Uncle Dan planted two apple trees in his garden that evening in remembrance of the Twin Towers. What a nice idea. And all the poor people who died, they are still there. But unfortunately, my uncle also has passed on. But it's a lovely reminder and a little bit of hope to see new life grow in those two trees every year. May they all rest in peace. We've got a couple of more. Sinta uh, Solnu says, I was uh, in a taxi in Portugal. I speak a bit of Portuguese. I was listening on the radio. It sounded like War of the Worlds. I thought it was a science fiction movie until I questioned the driver. Uh, but also, it must be said how much notice has been taken of uh, senseless loss of life in the Middle East. No two wrongs have made a right here. One final one, Mark Cronin said, I was hanging around with my buddies just after school when our PE teacher, uh, PE teacher said, the one and only Pat Spillane walked past and started shouting, uh, the two big towers in New York have been bombed, lads. Planes are flying into them like madness. That's the Kerry GAA great 
Pat Spillan. One more mention for our uh, Free Food Friday. It is, of course, with Oak Fire Pizza, Real Wood Fire Pizza in Clonakilty, Bandon, Princess Street, Galabi Street and Douglas Village. We'll start our mentions in the next hour. Text Free Food Friday to 086-8104-106 and tell us who you are uh, and uh, where you're working and how many people are there if you can for your chance to win six large pizzas, garlic bread, potatoes, drinks, dips and desserts for 15 people. Free Food Friday to 86 8104106 and we'll begin our mentions in the next hour on the Neil Prendable Show. Time just turning three minutes to ten. We have news from the Red FM Newsroom on the way next. Hi, it's Connor. Join me Sunday from seven for Green on Red, bringing you the biggest, the best and newest names in Irish music. 104 to 106 Red FM. This is the Neil Prendable Show. And we're going to go to New York now to speak to Peter Franklin, who's been a great friend to the show down the years and has spoken to Neil and myself many, many times, also known as the Gabby Cabby. Morning to you, Peter. Good morning, good morning. Boy, it's been 20 years. It's been 20 years since you would have been talking to Neil about uh, 20 years tomorrow, I guess, since we would have been looking for your services. Thank you for holding over the course of the last hour. We had some very emotive uh, material. Uh, you're, uh, you can be found, of course, on www.gabby.com, and I'll mention that again at the end. Uh, the 20 years has been a bit surreal. Are you still in New York, Peter? Yeah, of course. I will always be in New York. I'm not allowed to leave New York. <laughs> it's my destiny. I must be here. But no, it, it's more than surreal. It's crazy. I mean, I, I'm, I'm walking around as, as all New Yorkers are in a daze because, you know, you got the 9-11 situation was an, an unbelievable event. Now what's going on with Afghanistan is an unbelievable event. And it's sort of like, it, it's like, didn't we see this movie before? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like I'm I'm in the, I'm starring in a science fiction movie. It's crazy. It's almost as if Joe Biden didn't want the 20th anniversary to arrive and pass with American troops and, and boots on the ground still in Afghanistan. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And listen, nobody knows what anybody's uh, ideas are. There's more venom floating around. You know, once upon a time, you discuss politics. I'm a Republican. You're a Democrat. You're a Democrat. I'm a Republican. And we talk about it. Now, boy, you don't talk about it or you're going to lose your brother. You're going to lose your sister. You don't talk about it. It's just there's such venom and hate that's going on. It's the whole casual discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, whatever our feelings on politics here, and you have to be a certain, to a certain extent, apolitical when you're in this job, and try to be fair to everybody. Uh, I have friends on both sides of the camp in America, and and completely unsolicited. You know, just making a general conversation. I said to one guy because he leaves America for, for for the winter and heads to Asia. I said, "Are you heading back to Asia this year?" He said, "I'm, I'm not just this year. I'm getting out of the country for good. This president offends me." And I said, "I didn't ask you anything about politics." But that's how heavily ingrained the, uh, you know, the camps are now. And I think it's probably the Republican versus Democrat versus Republican, uh, you know, either side of the fence. It's not doing America as a whole any good anymore. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, the, the situation right now is, is terrible. Remember, you know, as a taxi driver, being in the taxi business, my job is to engage in conversation. No, 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 you don't do that anymore. If somebody says to you, some kind of politics you avoid it. You don't talk about it because it's just a rough kind of a situation. And remember, the edge that we have on the rest of the world, because you're all consumed with it too, is that it happened here. I mean, this is the place where most of us who are living today saw it happening, and that's the edge we have in this thing. But on the other hand, there's generations now who weren't even here at that time. They didn't exist. Talking about the kids, of course. So it has so many mixed emotions. 
And of course, for this problem in Afghanistan to be going on at the same time, as I say, our heads are really twirling around. I think I'm going to come out and hide in your basement. <laughs> of course, you have the president you probably don't like coming to town tomorrow. He's going to be at Ground Zero, then moving on to Pennsylvania, I think, and on then to uh, the, uh, the Pentagon. Uh, what sort of reception will President Joe Biden get there tomorrow? Reverential one? The usual usual presidential uh, thing. I mean, each time it's reported, they try to make it like it's a big deal in itself. No, it's going to be the same thing. 50% of the people will like him. 50% of the people will hate him. That's the word right there, hate. It once was 50% like, 50% dislike. Now it's 50% hate. It's a you know completely different ball game, but no, his reception isn't going to be any different, really. Yeah, I mean okay. a little bit more tense. And let's remember too, the media covers everything. If somebody sneezes in Ireland, you hear about it in New York. T- tell me about your particular memories of twenty years ago. Well, on that particular morning, I was going over to my wife's studio. She was at that time a screen printer, and when I stepped into the studio, I turned on the telly. And I was having a cup of coffee, and all of a sudden there was this movie about a plane heading into a building. And I thought, oh, what's an interesting movie? I wonder who's in it. And then I realized it wasn't a movie, that it was actually happening at that moment, because I went outside to take a look in real life, and I could see the smoke billowing from lower Manhattan. How far away away do you live, Peter? I would say about a mile away from there. But remember, I mean, you couldn't miss it. It wasn't as if nobody was going to say, gee, I didn't see any smoke. No, you knew it. But the big question was what was happening. That was the confusion. I mean, here you got 10 million people who figure, boy, we better get out of here. And you don't know where to go, what bridges to go, what tunnels to go. Are we at war with somebody? So there was a tremendous amount of confusion at that time. But people kind of got themselves all organized. They grounded all the planes and they were off and running. But it was definitely a peak event. It's, it's absolutely, where were you when that happened? Everybody remembers it. Yeah, it's the JFK moment, really, isn't it? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it really was. And, and even now, you read the reports of the day-to-day activities in Afghanistan with the Taliban. After all this time, whether you agreed with the war or didn't agree with the war, we're right back where we started. Right back where we started 20 years ago. Billions, uh, I mean trillions, not billions, trillions. You've, uh, and now you've just weaponized uh, an army you'll probably be calling an enemy forever. And uh, and it's just been, it's just back to zero. For what? You're saying an enemy forever. You mean like Japan and Germany? <laughs> yeah, they're going to be our best friends. Neil, you and I will be meeting in Kabul at a resort soon. We'll be there for a vacation. How, how is business in New York? You're, you're kind of bereft of tourism from Europe, at least, I think, are you? Well, yeah, and uh, I've, I've been recommending at this time that people don't come to New York. I mean, the, the tourist board is trying to promote it, but it, it's dangerous. There's a lot of crime. There's a lot of problems. So if you're thinking of coming to New York, my honest opinion is uh, wait six months and then consider it. But it'll be the same New York. We'll have Broadway back. All the arenas will be back. New York is New York. It's a very, very unique place. The city that never sleeps, that's uh, it's amazing to hear you, that you would advocate people waiting. Um, and a lot of people are waiting with bated breath just to be allowed back. Yeah, well, that's it. But that's what that's my recommendation. I remember my job, my business is to promote tours. So if the Gabby Cabby Peter Franklin is saying, don't come yet, I know what I'm talking about. Don't come yet. Come okay. in six months. Come in six I months. Then come down even more. Can people avail of your services if they like uh, listening to you right here and right? Can you be their personal cabbie in New York? Is that the 
The ambition yeah, here? Yeah, of course. That's the way. Yeah, that's the way I may, as they say, that's the way I make my living. And I love doing it because there's nothing more fun than showing New York. And each day it's getting, it is getting better and better. We're about to get rid of the mayor that we have who's a real dope. And that's going to help a lot. And uh, it's a determination. We got to get this thing going again because everybody's starving to death. Okay, if you were to compare, and I know they're two completely uh, separate kind of things, if you were to compare the response of New Yorkers to 9-11 and the response of New Yorkers to the COVID pandemic, do you think it's steeled New York together as a community? Has it, has it emerged from both events a better New York? Yes, it has. I mean, I don't know if you'd say a better New York, but the fact of the matter is we're very organized people. Anybody who's ever been to New York knows the type of people. New Yorkers, and I'm talking about people in the city, are a very unique breed. It really is. So uh, it, it's quite the place. If, it, if you were going to have something like this occur, the best place in the world for it to occur. Yeah. All right. Peter Franklin, it's lovely to talk to you again. The Gabby Cabin, if you want to uh, keep up with Peter's... Uh, Escapades and book him personally. You can check out all of that on www.gabby.com. That's a very handy. Uh, that's a ha- very handy URL to have there. Gabby.com. Uh, just those five letters. That's a very powerful one. That's uh, worth a few quid, I'd say. Yeah, you want to buy it? <laughs> Peter Franklin, always something for sale and always a great conversation. As we thank you for being a continued friend of the program, the Gabby Cabby, Peter Franklin. Thank you very much. You got it, sweetheart. Uh, thanks a million. Bye bye. Okay. A little bit of a delay on the line there, but we can live with that. Let's go back to line one and to Trevor. Hi, Trevor. Hi, Mick. How are you? Very good. You want to talk to me about a former Northmont basketball player? Yeah, uh, his name was Dan Trant. Um, Dan Dan played in the Mon, the Mon back in the 80s uh, for, for maybe a season or two and uh, played in a few tournaments with him. Um, I was actually, I'm actually a former member of the Mon club myself. The club is no longer there now. But... Um, Dan, uh, Dan played here in Ireland for a good few years. He also played with UCD and Marion, a very good player. Uh, he came from uh, Westfield, Massachusetts, uh, outside Boston. And he was drafted by the Boston Celtics in the 1984 NBA draft. He was actually the last last pick. He was number 226. Um, and he played he played uh, for summer with Larry Bird and all the great legends in Boston. But didn't make it because uh, at the time the Boston Celtics were the best. They were world champions as they call them. Um, so he decided uh, to try his luck uh, in Europe and he ended up in Ireland. Uh, played in uh, Dublin with UCD Marion. Then came down to Cork and played a few games with the man. Uh, as I said, guests were some tournaments and stuff. So eventually, uh, Dan made his way back to the States, back home, and got a decent job um, with Cantor Fitzgerald Stocks and Bonds. Okay. And he had an, op- he had an office in one of the Twin Towers. Uh, the morning of 9-11, he went to work. Actually, the night before, he had been in, uh, he had been in New York because uh, his uh, favourite team, Boston Red Sox, came to play a baseball game against the Yankees uh, in New York. So he went to that game with his two sons uh, and uh, they had a fantastic night, as they would. Um, went the following day to work uh, like uh, like thousands of New Yorkers. Actually, there were 17,000 people Mick, in the, in those towers the morning of the 9-11 attacks. It could have been it, 70 if it was it later in the day. It, it could have been absolutely... You know, I mean, the, the death toll was 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 unreal, but it could have been, you know, it could have been a lot, lot more. But Dan Tran went to went to work um, in one of the offices, as I said, and uh, he was above the impact zone uh, in the second tower. When the first tower came down. Um, there was a massive confusion on the ground. 
police officers, fire officers uh, gave out a, a call to stay within the offices on the second call. It was the safest place to be because of what was happening down at ground, uh, at the, uh, you know, at the ground level. Um, and unfortunately, ten minutes before, maybe maybe even less, before the second plane hit the uh, the second tower. Uh, they gave the call to start evacuating the building. Wow. Uh, and unfortunately, Dan Trump was in an office which was above that impact zone um, and was, was, was killed tragically. Um, 40 years of age. Um, now, I was only a young, I was only a young fella, um, but I, you know, he was a very nice fella, a great player. As I said, he had to be a great player to be drafted by the Boston Celtics and sure. played with the players that he played with, you know. Trant, Trant um, is not a, a common name around here. I have a buddy called Mick Trant, who's also known as Hector Pickaxe, big country singer at the time. Uh, I wonder are they related? Dan Trant, not not well, a very Dan, common name here in Cork. Dan's uh, well, he wasn't from Cork. He was actually from America. Oh right, okay. Yeah, he but he came he came to he, oh, came, he came to the North Mountain Yeah, okay. Yeah, he came to he came to Ireland to play in Ireland for a couple of years because he didn't he wasn't going to make it uh, with the Boston Celtics because you know they had so many good players. So he came here uh, as a lot of players did back then and still do. They come here for a few years and they come around Europe and that and they head back to back to the states. Then you know, but he's from Boston. He's from Boston. He's from Massachusetts. Um, but his his grandparents were from uh, Dingle, from Kerry. Um, so he have you know he had a lot of Irish Irish ancestry. Not being a follower of basketball, I have two simple memories of of, of the basketball time. The fact that there was uh, was it is it Terry Strickland or something was was the big name. Uh, Terry Strickland, Ray Smith. Yeah, and and, and the fact Jack that the, the fact that the main sponsors were Burgerland. Remember them? Burgerland. That's right, and Dom Milk. Dom Milk were sponsors of, uh, and Bushwick were the sponsors of their, their big rivals, uh, Blue Demons on the North Side. Happy days in Cork. We felt so yeah. cosmopolitan to have these kind of international basketball stars yeah. walking around. Yeah, I mean, there you are. I mean, and that's, that's, that's a link, a link back to Cork and back mm-hmm. to, back to basketball on the North Side. So, Great memories, yeah. Trevor. Yeah, unfortunately, and God rest him, and uh, God rest all those that lost their life. Nice to have you on to remember him, though, so, so fair play to you. And you too, Nick. Thanks a million. Thanks, bye-bye. Okay, we're going to leave the topic with another piece of audio from the time. This is produced by a friend of the show, uh, Brendan Burke from Sonic Surgery. Uh, We wish them all the best. And Roscoe Lee Brown is the voice over here. The world we live in makes no concessions to common sense. Oblivious to morals, blind to justice, without any forewarning, events can rend our lives asunder. The way we feel, the emotional and physical landscape we occupy will all change in the blink of an eye, the beat of a heart. Priorities rearrange, meanings change, loyalties divide, and the mundane becomes magnified. Two little numbers, previously insignificant, now never to be forgotten. Whenever you're on a train, like a subway, and by chance it sort of like stops in a, in a tunnel, like you know that everyone on that train is like, oh my god, this is it, like this is it. Well, I was in the past train and there was a huge explosion sound. Everyone came out. A large section of the building is blown out around like the 80th floor. It, was it hit by something or was it something it was inside. inside? It, it was, was inside. inside. Because it looked out, everything was coming out. Everything all the coming. windows were coming out, all the papers. Were there any people hurt, do you know? Um, I just ran and everyone in the past train just ran. I don't know if anyone was hurt, but I assume they were because the windows were all blown out. The thing that I will remember most about that day is the color of the sky. It was the bluest sky you could ever see. I, I just witnessed a plane that appeared to be cruising uh, slightly 
lower than normal at altitude over New York City, and it appears to have crashed into, uh, I don't know which tower it is, but it hit directly in the middle of uh, one of the World Trade Center towers. New York City, September 11th, 7th Avenue South at Commerce Street. I don't know what to write. I continue to feel as if I could and should cry all of this away. Well, I was at the time home with my 14-day-old baby. Um, 9-11-2001, I was a senior in high school. I was in my um, economics class. It was my first period class. I uh, came out of the subway turnstile and saw a lot of people running back into the subway, uh, screaming that something hit the World Trade Center. Today were the terrorist attacks in New York, and today was my first look at war. George, how to mobilize the army? We need the army in Manhattan. I have never felt so scared. I've never felt so nauseous with hurt. I have been at St. Vincent's Hospital all day trying to help in some way. I am a doctor, but so unprepared to adequately help. Suddenly we heard a big bang, and then we saw smoke coming out, and everybody started running out, and we saw the plane on the other side of the building, and there was smoke everywhere, people were jumping out the windows. Oh, they're jumping out the windows, I guess, because they're trying to see themselves. I still see the firefighters brought to St. Vincent's in ambulances, police cars, civilians' cars, even wagons, wagon loads of men in uniform. 19-4, firefighter down. Tower number two, 19-4, firefighter down. I cannot forget the face of two men in particular. One of the men, like so many others, came in cardiac arrest. I started chest compressions while still in the street in front of St. Vincent. His leg was mutilated, covered in soot, his fireman jacket torn. He was gray. His skin, his clothes, his teeth. He rolled his eyes up and looked at me. His eyes were so gray and weak. I don't know if I have ever really looked into someone's eyes before. I mean, really looked. Today, I had the longest five-second stare I will ever know. September 11, 2006. Five years later, life goes on. Routine is recreated. Our days find shape, and with hope pulling us forward, we forge ahead. But we don't forget. There was a sort of stillness and an emptiness and a hollowness that I felt physically, um, but at the same time, I never could be still. I just couldn't believe I had just brought this perfect little baby into the world and all this was happening. I started thinking about my grandparents, all these things, wishing that I was, you know, they could tell me what was going on, you know, and just wanting somebody to explain it. September 13th. I still have not hugged anyone since this all started, and I am so physically aware of that right now. Down to my soul, I'm aware of this. I am alone. I would like to somehow think that this is our finest hour, a time when we rise. Hope there's someone who'll take care of me. I have hope. I have a lot of hope. Hope there's someone who'll set my heart free. Nice to hold when I'm tired. We're going on. We're, we're not going to stop. I'd like to believe that we're going forward. Oh, I'm scared of the middle place between life and nowhere. It was suddenly like this bonding of the country that was just unbelievable. Oh, there's someone who set my heart free. I think as time progresses and wounds heal, we'll move to a better place.
past is certain. The future is not for sale. Who we are comes from where we have been, what we have seen. The past casts a shadow on the forward path, but yet there is light. Those who know that sense can't come from the senseless. Pin your flag to hope. And remember, since time immemorial, this is the world we live in. Incredible voice. Uh, almost reminds me of Vincent Price and Michael Jackson's thriller. That's Roscoe Lee Brown. Uh, we're happy to play that again for you today because we need to. Uh, Brendan Burke from uh, Sonic Surgery produced that piece and we need to play that and we do it every year I have done for some time lest we forget Call the Neil Prenderville Show now 1850-104-106 Red FM It is Free Food Friday of course Happy Friday to everybody Oak Fire Pizza on the Neil Prenderville Show uh, Real Wood Fire Pizza now open in Clonakilty, Bandon Princess Street, Galabi Street and in Douglas Village Oakfirepizza.ie 0868-104-106 Please keep those uh, texts coming in uh, Just put Free Food Friday in front of it please and have pizza delivered at home or to your workplace Hello Mick from all of us here at Customware in Donnybrook, Ailish and Mitchellstown, still working from home after 17 months. Make I'm working away here listening to my dog snoring at my feet. I'd love uh, the pizza and love the show. No name on that one, but we have your number. You're in the draw. I mean, can you please consider my daughter Erica Lynch and her colleagues Carlos Lee and Orla working hard at Chair Artistry of Hair on George's Key for Free Food Friday. All the hard-working staff at Rat Peak and Fireplaces, their regular textures. No job too big or small to get their plug in. We'd be so happy to share with our neighbouring businesses as well. Selena is looking for pizza, as is Kira and Clonakilty. Uh, still working from home as well. Would be great to win some pizzas. Liam Langford, hard at work in Cove, doing the post and always goes unnoticed. He would love it, Mick. Cheers. That's from somebody else. For Liam Langford, AP Vaughan Recycling and Tower, regular textures as well. Mary McGough at Argus and Mann, perfect cleaners in Yall, working flat out all through the pandemic with dry cleaning and laundry. It would be a big thanks to all our fantastic customers, says Colette. Trevor O'Mahony here from Greyhound Express Freight in Cork Airport Business Park. I'm here with Ed, Adam, Brian and the badge holder, Kevin. Don't know what that means, but there must be a story behind that one. We'd love uh, pizza for lunch. CUH Catering Department would love pizza. It would brighten up the start of a busy weekend for us. Thanks for all you do there, uh, Val Cavanagh. Lunch for Barter's Travel Net, Old Market in Bandon. We'd absolutely love to win this fabulous treat of Oak Fire Pizza for my family. It's been a very, very long week. Thanks a million from Orla Cotter in Carrigaline and a half a dozen more. For all the hard-working staff in Con's shop in Gronabraur, happy memories of Con. Uh, happily serving the people of Cork for 48 years. Tristan and the crew at Eurofins in Little Island. We all work such long hours and would love a bit of pizza for lunch for the wonderful staff at St Killian Special School on the Old Yall Road in Mayfield Free Food Friday all the lads from Tiles Russ Free Food Friday for Ken and Eve working really hard to design kitchens all over Cork and Kerry we'd love a pizza for lunch to give us a Friday feeling and a lunch we'd uh, love to feed my busy family and wife Ruth's birthday my daughter Tony Claire's leaving cert results and my son Dean's communion all of these events could uh, take some pizza uh, and uh, we had uh, some Parents texting the, pro- the program saying it's absolutely impossible to find accommodation in, in, the, uh, in the city these times and with the upcoming semesters uh, in the colleges. Uh, and I happened to meet a guy last night, just by chance, a guy called Tom Murray. Uh, and he sent me a text this morning. He said, it was lovely to meet you yesterday uh, and to discuss accommodation and that kind of thing. Now, Tom is a developer uh, and he uh, emails me this and it's, uh, uh, he's going to sell out, he said, his accommodation tomorrow. 
because they've got an open day. They're 70% sold. But if you are desperately looking for accommodation, uh, have a listen to this. As discussed, we're having an opening day for our student accommodation facility on Melbourne Road on this Saturday, the 11th of September. Uh, we'd really appreciate uh, if you could mention it on the programme and, and facilitate people to come along and see what we have on offer. The facility consists of, wait for this, 342 ensuite bedrooms with designated study areas, gym, large common room, PlayStation booths and a pool table. There's also a cinema room. Most importantly for parents, there is a 24-hour security on site. The name of the facility is Melbourne Point and we have UniNest operating who are world leaders in the management of student accommodation facilities. Uh, uh, the website address is way too long to read out but you can look up uh, unineststudent.ie and then it's Worldwide Ireland after that and you'll get there, okay? So um, Tom is uh, not looking for a plug. I said I would do this in my own volition because he said with our open day tomorrow, uh, there's going to be beers and uh, coffees and refreshments and all that kind of thing. Melbourne Point, it's uh, right on the uh, border of the uh, uh, M, uh, the Munster Technical University, MTU. So that's there tomorrow. If you're looking for accommodation for your child for the upcoming semester, uh, Tom is fully expecting to sell out tomorrow. 70% gone, 30% left, but that may be one you might get in on that 30% if you're stuck. So I said I'd read that out uh, of my own volition. Now let's go to line one and to Professor Jack Lambert who is in the UCD School of Medicine. Good morning, Professor. Good morning. Now, children who are close contacts of COVID-19 cases in schools could soon be able to avoid self-isolating. Under the current regime and under the current uh, recommendations and instructions, uh, children are self-isolating. We're now hearing of an increase from 12,000 earlier in the week to 14,000 people have been deemed close contacts and are isolating. Can you shed some light on uh, the current situation and on your suggestions? Well, well, very simply, I mean, the, the government has said children don't spread COVID. And then they say the numbers haven't increased in children. But the reality is they have. I just looked at the numbers today. 21,000 cases in the last two weeks. 22% of them are children 12 and under. And back in May, June, we had 5,000 cases in two weeks with only 6% in children 12 and under. So the, the biggest risk group now are, are the unvaccinated, which are the children. And, and 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 the issue is really simply, you know, you, you can't just send everybody home because it's not just sending the children home. It's going to paralyze the whole family, you know, and paralyze the economy, yeah. probably. Yeah. And it's going to paralyze the economy. So, so we knew this was going to happen back in May, June, July. The Delta variant is highly infectious, more infectious than children than the first wave of virus was in adults. So we saw this coming, and then, you know, I hear on the t television and radio that, oh, they're going to be putting monitors in the schools coming next week. Everything's coming next week. Why wasn't everything delivered three months ago? So I think we don't, we don't have a plan. The plan is not keeping 14,000 kids out of school. So you have to have a plan. And I'm not saying I have all the solutions here, but we have to look at what other countries have done, you know, and I don't think we can just let everybody come to school with, with, with COVID, you know, uh, because lots of people are asymptomatic, but there has to be a plan to keep kids in school. And, and some of the solutions that other countries have used are antigen testing, you know, test people, and then you can get them back quickly if they're negative. You know, even if you're asymptomatic, you can be carrying COVID. Everybody knows that. Um, and then other options are, are wearing masks. We're doing that in the hospital. We can't keep all of our hospital workers out for 10 days anymore. We've got a shortage. So we're coming up with plans to do 
rapid testing or to do testing quickly and to use enhanced masks and support to allow them to return earlier. So I think we have to brainstorm on what we can do to keep kids in school safely so that they're not spreading the virus and they're not bringing it home um, because there's still vulnerable people in the community who have not been vaccinated. And there's also people who are vaccinated that are still getting COVID. So, so cu- currently, Professor, children are required to stay at home for at least 10 days if they come yes. in contact with a confirmed case. Now, a report on the front page of the Irish Independent this morning said that school principals have been warned not to jump the gun and not to start deciding which children are close contacts of COVID cases. So children do not meet, need to be removed immediately from school if another pupil tests positive uh, for, for COVID-19, says. And I say this, <clears throat> a HSE expert, so it's unattributable, that comment. That comment. What would you think of it? Well, well, I, I think I, I think this is we need to get who's in charge of the HSE, who's in charge of giving advice to principals. You know, I, I've listened to the television and radio to the principals saying they put in calls for the hotline, emergency hotline, and they're waiting three days to get an answer. I mean, th- th- this is not good enough. You know, we we have lots of lots of staff and lots of resources in this country that are not being used appropriately. So I don't think I don't think that's an appropriate. Answer: If you're exposed to somebody with clinical COVID, you could have the infection. Okay. End of story. End of story. That's the story. So, and I think if 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 the if if the current situation is 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 you're supposed to send close contacts if they meet the criteria close contacts if the current guidance is send them home for ten days. And, and somebody from the HSC doesn't answer the hotline for three days. I think the principals have to make that decision. Yes. Uh, okay. Rather than listening to a, an invisible HSE expert, can I give you this case study uh, text from a listener? Mick, I have three kids, two of whom are in creche. Our childminder has three kids in schools. Uh, we have 110 families we're in touch with between five classes every morning. This close contacts business is a joke. How are myself and my husband expected to work in our full-time jobs during the winter? We'll be in and out of work with sick kids. The government and schools need to have a clear plan. This is going to be a disaster for private sector workers, most of whom have worked in offices all through the pandemic, says Anna. That is just indicative of the fact that there is massive confusion, uh, Professor Jack Lambert, uh, among parents. Yeah, well, well, absolutely, absolutely. But, 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 the, but the issue is, is that we knew this was coming. Where is the roadmap provided us by our government, by our ministers, by, you know, our experts in the HSE? Where is the document that's been put, put together ahead of this happening? Not, we're working on something, we'll come out with a document in two weeks. I mean, the cat's out of the bag now. Um, it's damage control. Um, but this is true of, I, I hate to say for, Every issue, you know, what's the plan for COVID booster vaccinations? What's the plan for, you know, flu vaccinations? What's the plan for long COVID patient follow-up? The plan is we're going to come out with an announcement in four weeks. It kind of makes you think that maybe they don't have a plan. Mm -hmm. There is panic among parents and confusion as well, of course. Children tested positive for the virus in 1,011 primary schools uh, and early education settings, as well as in 632 secondary schools. Uh, is it is it too much to ask the schools be closed temporarily? I, I I don't think that's the solution. The solution is not to close the schools. Okay, I, I think we have to live with COVID. Okay, but we have to live safely. We just can't throw caution to the wind. And like I said, there has to be a plan for you know ventilation, minimizing it, you know risk assessment. Somebody been able to call a friend to get assistance, and then rapid testing and 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 masking uh, to allow kids to continue in school. I think all of those need to be considered. Um, I'm not making that decision, but but 
seems like nobody else is either, or nobody, yeah. nobody even, or, or nobody is articulating it. You know. Yeah, some older people were vaccinated almost six months ago. Now, what's the plan for their booster jams? Do you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, I was I was vaccinated eight months ago with the Pfizer vaccine, and I've been told that the vaccine levels are now low in people who got the Pfizer vaccine. So I'd like to know myself. I'd like a vaccine. I'd like all my staff to get a booster vaccination. I'd like immunocompromised to get booster vaccinations. I'd like all the nursing homes to get vaccinations. Um, I've seen that articulated in Scotland. I've, Scotland started a flu vaccine campaign two weeks ago. You know, we just are behind the eight ball. And then we, we, we get in a crisis and then we have an announcement the next day that we're really not in a crisis and defending bad decisions made by the government. It's not good enough. We need to rethink our whole plan. So, so I have a plan um, and there's lots of experts in Ireland who have a plan and there's experts in other countries that have a plan, but I don't think um, that the people in charge are, are, are listening. Just, just to outline your plan, what would you do now if I, somebody put you in charge of the response here from the HSE and from the government? Okay, well, well, I'm I'm not going to make that decision. You, you asked me. There's so many. There's so there's so many different decisions that need to be made moving forward. I just mentioned some of them: long COVID follow-up clinics, uh, booster vaccinations, flu campaigns, school plan. You know, safe reopening, safe reopening of the you know economy and uh, and and the industries. I mean, I I think there's so many issues that that we get in crisis and then something bad happens and then the government announced that. It's not so bad, and they're going to come out with a plan in two weeks. Yeah, the, we the elderly, of course, are worried now that their va- vaccine power, if you like, uh, the effectiveness of their vaccines is now waning, uh, and yeah. are worried about that. What would you say to them? And hundred percent, I would agree with that. And I think we really need to. You know, I heard this four weeks ago from the minister that they're going to come. They're going to come out with a plan in a few weeks for who's going to get booster vaccinations. So, you know, COVID ravaged the. Um, nursing homes, you know, 18 months ago. We don't want that to happen again. So let's get that done in the first instance. You know, healthcare workers are our next major priority. And some of the cancer patients don't didn't respond very well in the first place to the vaccines. And there's, you know, so I think that we need to continue to boost them because uh, they're immunocompromised, you know, transplant patients. So I think that really is a major priority because, um, and, and other countries have done it six months after you know, the original vaccinations and many of our, our staff and nursing homes are now nine months, you know, post, we're now September. Vaccination started 26th of December, you recall. Yeah, there, there possibly isn't a workplace in the country now that's not affected by this confusion. School principals warn not to jump the gun and start deciding which children are close contacts. Then you have a HSC uh, helpline operating only until 4.30pm. Uh, so there have been cases of principals contacting parents late at night. And then also some complaints that some schools faced long delays before public health staff visited to assess the risk to pupils. What are the principals supposed to do except make these decisions to tell people to keep their kids at home? Right. Well, well I, I think I think exactly. I, I would I would totally support um, the principal's decisions until they get clear, a clear guidance and a roadmap and and have immediate you know rapid access to 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 getting further advice. You know, having a, having a helpline that's available part of the time and nobody answers the phone uh, for three days or gets back to you three days is not acceptable. Okay, we leave it there, Professor Jack Lambert from the UCD School of Medicine. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. 21,000 cases in two weeks. 22% are 12 years of age and under. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM.
And a very good morning to you from the Neil Prenderville Show. If you want to get in touch, uh, you can phone us on 1850-104-106. You can text and WhatsApp 086-8104-106. Always a pleasure to talk to uh, Eileen Halley of jumpstartyourconfidence.ie. Good morning, Eileen. Hi, Mick. How are you? Very good. We had a good reaction to our last interview, I think. Uh, people seem oh, to like oh, what lovely. we had. Lovely to hear some common sense, isn't it? <laughs> now, you've had three mums in recently, and this is kind of... Uh, representative of what's happening across the county, if you like, really struggling with teens, battling with isolation and loneliness. Tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, without going into specifics, what they're going through. Yeah, sure. Um, I suppose, you know, pre-COVID, a lot of this existed anyway, but it's definitely been heightened with the last 18 months. I think the role of a mother is very, um, there's not enough respect for it to begin with, so hence giving people the idea that their job isn't actually of any high value. Whereas, let's face it, it's probably the most important job any of us will have rearing the next generation. But I think a lot of mums, you know, the loneliness part, I think, has obviously come from the last 18 months as well, where the isolation is in. They haven't had a chance to meet people, maybe like the kids also were in the same boat, have backed off from communicating with people. And then as the kids' issues have come up, which they obviously have for a lot of families, that the kids are struggling... But the mums are now struggling too because not you know they're they're lonely, they're isolated. A lot of them just don't seem to have some, that trusted person that they can talk openly and honestly with. And I think you know that's just vital for mothers because it is, in my opinion, the hardest job any of us will ever have. It brings us to every height of emotion. We judge ourselves. We are massively judged, and that's what I would say to every single mother listening this morning. You know, don't allow other people's judgments get in your head. You know, you make the best choices you can for your family and your kids. And whether it's your family or friends, school, whoever, parents at the gate with judgments, let them off. Okay, we, we've all been mothered. We've, we've all had that maternal instinct in, in our lives, okay? Uh, and as a guy, obviously, uh, I don't know much as much about it as you would. Um, but it must be a very lonely place for any mammy uh, to be navigating their child through the maelstrom of social media, Bullying by exclusion, peer pressure, bombardment with fashion and, and uh, all of that stuff that happens online, uh, the need to conform, the need to be one of the gang and all that kind of thing. How young should you start maybe trying to be a best friend and confident for your young child uh, in that they'll always come to mammy rather than bottle stuff up? Oh, I think you could start that from immediately, you know, age three or four, really all the way up. That they can, that I think that has all come from, and I've a large bit about this in my book about active listening, you know, listening to your kid regardless of what the issue is. So if your five year old is crying, going out the door because their pigtails aren't straight, that's a big deal to your five year old at that time. But that five year old at 15 needs to know that regardless of the problem, you are willing to listen because what we feel isn't a problem, they do. So when it comes to body image, confidence, not having a friend, not having that one person to talk to in the classroom, that is soul-destroying for a teenager. And it really cripples their confidence. And if these things aren't spoken about immediately or fairly early on, in an honest and understanding and supportive manner, then these issues are the things that can cause these kids to spiral in a downward fashion. And it can happen really quickly. So I'd say, you know... Hopefully, a lot of kids will come to their mums, but at that point, teenagers, it's really difficult because a lot of kids want to feel independent. They know it all. They can handle it themselves, or they might be embarrassed. They mightn't want to let the family know that they're struggling. You know, they mightn't want to leave them down. There's a million reasons. So I always say, if there's an older cousin, an aunt, a grandparent, always try and have somebody maybe outside of yourself that your kids 
can open up to. Like I'd often have mine would open up to my sister or my mum. And that has been a huge support because you're not as emotionally attached so they can feel that they can open up a little bit more. Okay. Now, if your child comes clean with you and, and, and begs you maybe to promise, oh, don't tell dad, please don't tell dad, and you make that promise, then of course as joint parenting, you know, as stakeholders in joint parenting here, you're going to have to tell your partner at some stage. Is that little white lie okay? Oh, yeah, I think absolutely. But you have to be really careful then and that it doesn't pop out that you broke that trust, yes. you know. And to be honest, Mick, I think sometimes maybe if it's about body image or whatever, or maybe boys or relationships, I don't think we all have to know everything. I don't think my parents know everything about me. I do think it's important that they do have that. They have to have a massive trust that they can come to you. And I think the other side of that, which I've seen a lot, really, and I've done it myself way too often, is the kids come to me with trust to trust, you know, with something that they want me to that they would need me to trust and then they, I turn around and I might talk on the phone to my sister my mum and I'm rambling on about it and they can hear me and they're going well I can't trust her anymore Yes, because she's after going off now and I'm mortified because she's after telling them that is huge so of course we may want to get advice from somebody but for God's sake make that phone call out of the house because their ears are the size of elephants if they think you're talking about them and so many parents say to me Asha they can't hear that or they don't hear us talking about this believe me they do they are the nosiest creatures in the nicest possible way. They just want to know everything that's going on around the place. Now, the mums today, Eileen, are constantly being bombarded by perfect mums with perfectly turned out kids on Instagram. And that really isn't the reality. The reality is nappies, sure tantrums, I mean, exhaustion, balancing work, kids, relationships, cleaning, cooking, provisioning, shopping, uh, dropping, collecting. Such is the lot of the modern mammy, isn't it? Well, do you know what? I kind of feel sorry for those who feel that pressure to put their life up online constantly. It must be absolutely exhausting. But again, you know, we try and tell our kids, don't be watching everything online. Don't be comparing yourself to everything online because it is not real. Those pictures of people looking as if everything is wonderful and fantastic and they have to have a hospital and everything is perfect. You know, it's bullshit. Let's face it, it's not real. But it's very, if we're trying to tell our kids not to do it, then we do need to take a deep breath and say, what am I doing? So, like, if people feel that they're going online and they're not feeling any better when they come off on being online on Instagram or following, go through your followers. If there's anybody there that isn't actually making your day better, unfollow. Get off. It is an addiction. And we are just as addicted as our kids are. But we also have to make the decision, you know, that we stopped. And, you know, that's a good conversation to have with your teen at some point. Just saying, well, I was following blah, blah, blah. Genuinely, it did not make me feel any better in my day, so I decided to unfollow. And boy, I kind of feel lighter in myself. And that, and that person may not have been against you or criticizing you or anything, just not making you no. feel happy. Well, you're, comp- you're comparing life and life, and you can't do that because nobody knows what's going on in anyone else's life. And I think the other thing with mums, which I'm coming across a lot, and to be honest, to make look, it's there forever, is we need to look after ourselves. I mean, we are no good to our kids if we're struggling, if we're you know, upset, exhausted, overwhelmed, whatever. And we are going to hit all those feelings probably five times a day. But what you have to just take a breath again and just say, look, what am I doing here for me? Because you cannot pour from an empty cup. You are not any good to your kids if you are going through stuff yourself. I've gone for plenty of support over the years and it has been the best thing I've ever done. And I would say to parents, be brave enough, go and get whatever help you need. And I think when the kids are hitting teenage and even, you know, I think that 17 to 22 is a really hard age. I'm, I'm sorry for the young mums who think they're going to be through it all. Absolutely not. The issues are bigger. And then throw on hormones on top of that. And, you know, it's a really hard time for a lot of women. 
Not everybody goes through it in the same way, but by God, it's a tough struggle at times. And it's something that's out of people's control. So that's the other message to mums. Please go and get the help you can. Go talk to your GP. See what you can do. Make sure you know you're getting every support you possibly can to get yourself through that as well. Because how can you actually deal with... And I've done it, Mick, where I've roared and hollered and then I've had to step back and go, oh, geez, sorry, lads, that was nothing to do with you. That was absolutely all to do with me. Because I was struggling. So if we can kind of work on ourselves, then that just makes sense that we're in a better situation to deal with our kids and they're going to be able to come to us because they're not going to be afraid we're going to bite their heads off. How much time out does the average couple need? I don't want to be concentrating too much on the mammies because there's daddies out there as well who are, you know, they're, they're fe- feeling the pressure. And, you know, you, you go from being able to go out any night you want and go anywhere you want and afford anything you want to uh, now not being able to go out at all because in the first six weeks the, the baby's awake half of the time. Uh, and and all through the night mostly uh, and then if you want to travel anywhere go for a weekend it's a van load of paraphernalia that has to come with a little baby um, so wh- how soon should people start getting out uh, when, when they have a new child in the house oh god well I mean if you're lucky enough to have a grandparent or support I'd say as soon as you possibly physically can get up on your feet yeah I mean just get that break if we don't get the time out therein starts you know a long line of issues yeah, the I cup emptying the then and then the cup will eventually be empty well, you know, communication breaks down. I was only speaking to a principal of a school this morning. And, you know, a lot of the issues, I think, coming at home is the communication is actually breaking down to such a degree, Mick. It's really sad because for a lot of us, and I've seen it in my house, like, you know, someone, they might come in, one could be in one room, one is in another, one is watching Netflix, one is doing something else. So the thing that we would have all naturally grown up in is sitting together. You don't always have to be talking or anything, but you're within each other's company. Yeah, and take your head out of the phone when you're at the, when you're at the kitchen table. Yeah, exactly. So it's so hard to understand. Like for the kids to understand where you're at, for you to understand where the kids at, if we're not communicating, we have got to really work to keep the communication open. Brilliant. And if the couple is communicating well, or the parents, if it's a solo parent, that they're communicating well with friends and whoever, that's what we're teaching our kids. Okay, quick so mention, quick mention for the book, time. Eileen, uh, as well as jumpstartyourconfidence.ie, which is uh, where people can get in touch with you. The book is called? Uh, the Parent. So it's basically very, it's kind of practical and pretty simply written, but it's very much um, coming from a lot of the work I've done with kids and parents over the years. So it's, it's just simple little things. That's mo- I, I'm a firm believer, a little change can make a massive difference within the home. So you can get it on my website, www.jumpstartyourconfidence.com or on my Instagram page or my, any of my um, social media accounts. Yeah, the, fo- the phone just, just broke down there for a second when, when you mentioned the name of the book. What's the name of the book again? Oh, sorry, the name is The Parent. The Parent, okay. You wanted to say yeah, one final on thing? Website. The one final thing is just for mums, you know, give yourself a break. You're doing an amazing job. You're doing the hardest job out there support yourself first and foremost because if you don't do that you're not in a position to support your kids okay brilliant always great to talk to you Eileen thanks Mick thanks Thanks, Eileen all the best good morning hi Mick I'm texting all the way from France in the hope you drop off a free food Friday for my father back in Cork he's self-employed and working for Palmer Signs for over 40 years I love you give it to him as uh, I feel it's so much deserved all the leftovers won't go to waste either he'll happily share with extended family and businesses in the Cork area it's my friend Angie's birthday today I'd love to surprise her with Oak Fire Pizza as she minds her grandkids all week it'll save her making dinner on her birthday Free Food Friday Crowley Engineering Trevor Toolhire on the Victoria Road Riverview Vets and Balancholic Paddy Power and Grona Broher uh, I'm working for the greatest company it's called Architectural and Metal Systems Limited based in Little Island uh, and I'd love to surprise my colleagues with a Friday treat. Thank you so much and have a lovely Friday, says Selena. Free Food Friday mentions her Oak Fire Pizza to 086 8104 106.
Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features, and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. And I just want to give a quick shout out to some very charitable people. They are Blood Bike South. Uh, they are voluntary riders serving the community. Uh, they are the people who will make that urgent run if blood is needed in one part of the country or county or an organ has to be transported. Uh, and they do Trojan work and they're all volunteers. And they're having the annual Con Cagney Memorial Run on Sunday, September 12th. So, uh, couple of days time registration is going to start at 10 a.m. at the Ramble Inn and halfway and leaving at half 11 sharp and they're heading for a scenic West Cork coastal route from Kinsale to Skibbereen north to Bantry before returning to Bishopstown and registration and entry fee is just 20 euros on the day uh, and you can uh, check out the map of the route on Facebook and Instagram so hats off to all of the uh, Blood Bike South volunteers and uh, Congrats on all of the good voluntary work that you do. Now, speaking of voluntary work, Willie Walsh is PRO of the Mallow Search and Rescue Organisation. Good morning, Willie. Good morning. How are you doing? Now, good. You you helped in a dramatic rescue uh, just in the last 24 hours. Please tell us about it. Yeah, um, just after or before 7 o'clock last evening, we received a, a call from Mallow Gardaí that a person had been seen entering the water um, just about a kilometre maybe down from the bridge in Mallow and um, yeah, we put our we put our call out and we got our members together and we launched the boat and with the help of the fire brigade, who were very kind to us because currently there's major store works going ongoing in Mallow and our normal slipway that we use behind our, our premises is is uprooted for the moment while they're doing the work. So launching boats isn't that easy, but thankfully the fire brigade were on hand and they helped us and yeah, we got a boat into the river look and you know, we the Gardaí had pinpointed uh, fairly closely where the person might be and uh, we, we got our forces together look and we managed to rescue the person and um, brought her to safety and um, the fire brigade gave um, first aid and then the, the Coast Guard helicopter looked, came and airlifted the person to the hospital. So all's well that ends well. Now that's a great collaborative um, service there. You had your boat launched with the help of Mallow Fire Service. I know there were very big tides last night. It's a spring, tide, uh, spring tides and spring lows as well. Does that affect you on the river? Uh, and how no, much no, does no, the river no, affect no, you no. and the speed of the river affect your launching? No, what, what affects us in the river generally is just flooding from when it comes from back west. Um, the river rises in Belly Desmond, so close to yards, so we're not affected by tides at all. But flooding can be a major issue at times for us. But uh, thankfully, the river is not too high at the moment. Okay. Uh, and the Coast Guard uh, Helicopter Rescue 115, also instrumental, of course, in uh, in bringing this uh, story to conclusion. And uh, another spokesman, for, for possibly yourself, said that you'd like to thank Malagardi, Irish Coast Guard, especially Mallow Fire Service, uh, for helping with, with the boat launch. So, uh, Absolutely. As a ver- the Gardaí were tremendous in coordinating everything. And without them, you know, we work very closely with them wherever we're carrying out services, whatever part of the country. But, yeah, they were great in getting all the services together quite quickly. And, and that's key to, you know, such a, an outcome. And generally, we don't yeah. have much positive news to report when we go on searches, but thankfully this is a good news story. Excellent. And I, I'd say there must be tremendous interdepartmental respect between you, the guards, fire service, uh, and even, even your fundraisers who are constantly out there trying to help. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a whole network of services. Look, there's the Irish search dogs, you have the civil defence, you know, and all the services you've just mentioned. We all work very closely together. We, you know, we, we support each other when we go out and searches, and, you know, that's the way it works. And, yeah, that's the, and as you mentioned, the, the fundraising, that's crucial for us. And 
during the pandemic we've just been through. It hasn't been easy for charitable organisations like ourselves to get funds, but thankfully the public come on board and people like yourselves highlighting our case as well, you know, doesn't do any harm, so thank you for that. Brilliant. We don't often have a happy ending, so it's nice to have one and to have you on the air to detail that, Willie. Thanks a million. No Thanks. No problem at all. Thank you. Cheers. Right. That's Willie Bye-bye. Walsh, Piero of Malu, Malo Search and Rescue. Speaking of detail and detailing, let's talk to Florin Corcoran, who owns a business called FC Detailing. Good morning, Florin. Good morning. How are you? Very good. Now, you own a business called FC Detailing. I imagine detailing is to do with cars, is it? That's right. We actually detail vehicles, anything from a bike, cars, trucks, and even boats as well. So we kind of try to bring them back to factory condition where possible. Okay, and that means, of course, cleaning engines right down to brand new condition, as well as everything else. Inside and out. Everything inside and out, we, we cater for all of that. Okay, is that, is that an expensive thing to bring a car back to brand? I suppose it depends how far it's gone, does it? Exactly. Everything is probably uh, condition and size, but we like to do kind of a quick inspection first beforehand, and then we give people options and let them um, decide from there. Mm-hmm. Now, so th- this is also a good news publicity story for you, because you've been doing a lot of work in aid of the Cork City Missing Person Search and Rescue. Uh, but there's also, you're doing that work alongside a certain element of frustration. So tell us what work you do. Um, yeah, that's right. So basically, we're trying to raise awareness for Cork City Mission Person Search and Recovery because it's, uh, we, we were kind of in contact with them at the start of the year and we found out the story, what work they do, and then we found out that, that they're a non-profit organisation and that they really need a base to work from and they don't have it at the moment. And yeah. I think that's absolutely criminal um, that they don't have somewhere to work and um, to kind of meet people and address the situation they have. So we, we kind of set up um, a kind of an idea sort of started off and uh, we did a 50k walk um, to raise money for them we did um, a couple of mountain walks we did the highest peaks of Ireland and um, we, we kind of teamed up as well with local businesses to kind of um, raise more money as such so we did um, we teamed up with Toomey's Precision Engineering in Bandon um, Sentinel Fire and Security in Bandon also and we actually got one of our friends um, that does the video producing and that's One Snap Productions and they're very good to us and um, all the proceeds went to that to try raise vital funds that they need so they can get uh, equipment and um, kind of do the work properly you know as they do so um, it was kind of a heart um, it was more of a heart that kind of wanted us to, to help and to give back to people who don't have it you know. Okay we've spoken to Christy a lot in the past and I in particular spoke to Christy the last time I was in for Neil's holidays and uh, it's kind of sad to feel that uh, Christian, that was a very emotive appeal. Uh, he gave a great story and painted a great picture of the gear that has to be taken home. Uh, it goes in all different directions. If only they had a place to wash down the gear, uh, a place that was close to, to the water, close to the river. And it's kind of sad that nobody's come forward really uh, and, and, and given uh, a premises, even a corner of a premises to uh, Cork City um, search, uh, missing person search and rescue. Do you hope that the funds that you're raising will will be able to help them to get a premises or are you more, more or less raising funds for operational reasons for them? Um, it's a bit of both, to be honest with you. Um, like, it, it, there's so many derelict buildings in Cork and yet they're just left there and I think they could really avail of those buildings um, so they could operate from. But we also wanted to kind of set up the GoFundMe page um, that's actually linked to our business page, FC Detailing, um, so people can actually maybe um, donate something, whatever they can kind of do for them so they can help rent the premises even if they, if they can't, um, if someone won't donate a premises to them. So um, that was our kind of main kind of objective of this to kind of get the awareness out there of people because a lot of them 
didn't know about them at the start and um, I think if people know about things and they kind of see their non-profit organisation that rely on you and me and the people of Cork to support them that they might actually um, get out there and help and start to make a change you know yeah okay well look we salute your work and uh, well done to the other businesses as well that are coming on board there Tumi Precision Engineering uh, they gave you their BMW 6 Series which you completed a paint correction and ceramic coating gave all the money to the fundraiser Sentinel Security and Bandon the cost of washing their entire fleet of work vehicles all proceeds went there as well so you're doing a lot as well as your 50 kilometre walk and climbing the three highest peaks and I suppose all you're asking is that uh, some more people do a little that's it and, and every little bit helps um, if they have one more euro today there's one more euro they didn't have yesterday and like uh, anyone can go onto our business page there's also a video up there to kind of show us, uh, people at Cork what they do and anyone can just click on the GoFundMe page and donate what they can because like without you and me they won't be helped and they won't get any further than they are at the moment Okay, and we have uh, a GoFundMe as well on Neil Red F- at Neil Red FM now. But if people want to go to www.fcdetailing.ie, which is your company, uh, they'll get all of the GoFundMe details. They'll get the fundraising videos. They'll get a video showing what uh, Cork City Missing Persons Search and Rescue do. Uh, and uh, please help Christy. We've spoken to Christy in the past. Uh, they have no premises for their boats, for their gear, uh, somewhere to wash down and uh, not have the, the stuff going in all different directions, which kind of slows down their response time. So we have that GoFundMe, your one, on at Neil Red FM right now on Twitter. And we beseech people, if you're listening today, even just a euro or two, uh, to help this cause and get them the premises. Well done for all you do, uh, Florin Corcoran and FC Detailing, and uh, long may you continue the good work. Thanks very much. Thanks so much, Mike. Appreciate thanks. that, and thanks to everyone else. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye. Now, could you please nominate the Abbey Maintenance Crew in Mitchellstown? We're a family working hard uh, at our business all through the year. We'd love a pizza. I love the show, and we'd love uh, a Friday treat for all the hard-working crew at Irish Removals in Bishopstown. Have a great weekend. Free Food Friday, please, for Mayfield Sports Complex staff working hard to get ready for the easing of COVID-19 restrictions on the 20th of September from Paul O'Leary, the General Manager. And Free Food Friday, please, from Paul Hashi uh, and the warehouse staff in Janssen Sciences in Ringeskiddy. It is Free Food Friday, and of course, we have uh, the six Oak Fire pizzas to give away, and uh, we would love to send them your way. Last chance to get texting 086 8104 Oak Fire Pizza is a uh, real wood fire pizza, and they're now open and available in Clonakilty, Bandon, Princess Street, Galabi Street, and in Douglas Village. We're going to send a huge array. Six large pizzas, garlic bread, potatoes, drinks, dips, and desserts for 15 people. Text Free Food Friday to 086 8104 Tell us who you are and who you want it for. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. This is Mick Mulcahy and I'm joined on the line by Evan Gerns. I assume I got your name correctly pronounced there, Evan? Yeah. I am looking, uh, before we start to speak, I'm looking at a very happy picture of you and your brother Andrew. In fact, two pictures. uh, All smiles. All really, really close. You can see from the picture uh, the love and the bond uh, you have or had uh, because Andrew is no longer with us. No. Yeah. Committed suicide in 7th of October last year. Uh, and that happened in Cork Prison? Yeah. Okay. There are a number of uh, investigations ongoing that we don't want to in any way jeopardize. So we'll, can we just maybe concentrate on your family's attempt to bring closure to the situation and to uh, attain an inquest into Andrew's death. And that's been prevented by what? Um, staff shortages, 
um, the courtroom has been turned into offices, which is being created our holding courtroom number seven. Um, and there's only two staff members that are doing being created compared to Dublin, which is 24. Okay, that seems like a huge imbalance. So the courtroom in the Washington Street Courthouse, which was previously used by the coroner, has been turned into an office. And this is to yeah. create space for staff so they can socially distance during the coronavirus pandemic. So this entire devastating incident that you want to bring closure to cannot be closed out, if you like. Be up to two years before we hear the inquest. But they wanted to issue the death cert beforehand, which shouldn't happen really. You know, to me, they made up their minds already when, when Andrew died. Oh. And do you feel there are still answers the family need to get their heads around? Do you feel there's still information you don't know much about? Just closures from, from, from their side of it, really, you know, because you'd hear the med- some of the medical staff speaking from the prison, I presume. Um, and just, it just, it's just a part of the grieving process, really, isn't it? Okay, I, I know the word closure, grieving process, all this... Uh, these terms are bandied around a little by interviewers such as myself and uh, they can be a little cliched. How important is it for you guys to get this inquest underway so that you can draw a line under the entire incident and begin to move on with your lives? It's very important. Like It's the first thing I think of when I wake up in the morning. It's the last thing I close my eyes with in the, at night. You know, you're just thinking of it all the time. You know, and Just when this happens... It's, just settles the other bit, doesn't it, and gets you back on the right track. So these are delays in the coroner's court. Is there any way this can be moved to Dublin where there seems to be more capacity? Yeah, why not? Or why can't it not be moved into a hotel in Cork? Or why can't it not happen in the coroner's court or the coroner's office and chill up or something? Mm. Uh, I'm just wondering why, why, why the coroner's court or the, or the coroner, the activities of the coroner here in Cork have been severely curtailed. Um, you, you know, using the COVID-19 pandemic is all well, well and good for uh, the time when we were in severe restrictions. Uh, but now things are opening up. Uh, does that mean any death that occurs in a prison uh, is subject to an inquest? So a, a jury will determine the cause of death based on the information presented to the coroner's court. And you can't present yeah. anything to the coroner's court. Yeah, that's correct. We haven't got that yet. And is it a bit insensitive to be issued with that death cert? It is, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it is really. You know, just to me, someone in an office just takes a few boxes and there you go, thanks very much. Mm-hmm. I don't want to dwell or ask or pry as to why Andrew was in prison, but uh, more really to remember the type of guy he was to you. The, the, the pictures are, you can see the closeness uh, the family had. Your mom is going to the grave every day, I believe. Yeah. And um, uh, he, was, he was always joking and pranking. He was, he was a talented soccer player. He was a loving father with two beautiful kids, Dean and Sophia. Um, he was he was in the in prison for a short time. He he just went down the wrong path, and he was only in there six days before it happened. You know, so do you think it was the finality of actually being locked up and away from those um, he loved? Yeah, I, I, yeah. He, he, there's a sort of he just went down the wrong road, really. You know, in the okay. last couple of months of the year, and you know, he just probably probably got overwhelmed with and stuff and. 
Okay, we were talking as well to uh, Cork TG Thomas Gould of Sinn Féin. Uh, he said, and I quote, and waiting on an inquest is an extremely distressing and upsetting time for families. They're essentially waiting on closure following the passing of a loved one. Uh, he also said that the under-resourcing here in uh, the coroner's court in Cork is scandalous, and he urged the government to step in to address the situation. What, 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 what's it going to take? Just a, a hotel room, an office? Uh, a, a different government appointed building that they can operate in uh, or is the political will there or is the staff there for the coroner's court to operate again well it's up to the politicians really like we've three top politicians in the government and you think for their own consistency that they'd back it up you know or else build a purpose building or something just for like we're not the only family going through this um, and we probably won't be the last but you can just get more staff they can get staff for the pandemic why can't they Get staff for this, like, it, like it's just closure, and it's a really difficult time when you're when someone dies, especially so young at 29 years of age, and to get the the, the end of it really, isn't it? Okay, it doesn't make any sense to me, but I know you're going to be waiting now potentially for up to two more years, and that's almost like a sentence in itself, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's a joke, really, and politicians should really do more for their, their city, isn't it? Uh, we'd like to get some insight into what happened uh, with Court 7, Courtroom 7. Uh, this was the office where the inquest should probably be held, and now that's being used uh, for uh, COVID-19 spacing out of people, I guess. Yeah, and I rang the coroner's court and asked them, and they completely agree with me that it's a disgrace. I speak on the phone to a lady, and she t- she agreed with me, and she said, I can't disagree with Chelsea. It's out of our hands, and it's up to the government. So if you want to make a direct appeal now that you're on the air to, uh, as you said, we have three uh, major politicians in the government. I think you meant three major Cork politicians at Cabinet. Uh, you can make a direct appeal to them right now. Yeah, they need to step up and get the get the coroner's court back open and to help get families with the grieving process. And they need, to, uh, they need to step in there and intervene fast for people's mental health and people to get on and I'm going with their lives after the difficult times. Well, Andrew has been well remembered by you in, in your efforts to, uh, once again, it's a cliche, but to bring closure to the entire situation and allow the whole family, uh, his partner and children included, of course, to move on with their lives. I can only wish you the very best, Evan, and thank you for coming on and highlighting that for us. Thanks, Nick, and thanks to your team for uh, giving me the opportunity to speak. You're more than welcome. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you. And we're back to uh, the... Uh, Sorry, that's not playing, so let's go straight back to our phone line, shall we? And uh, speak to Sean, who is on line three. Hi, Sean. Hey, Nick, how are you? Very good. You were in town yesterday. What did you spot? Yeah, I was just coming out of the English market, just strolling by, and I saw this guy, a beard distributor, a van, a mid-sized van with foreign beard logos on it, and he was loading um, his equipment, a canister and pipe work and stuff, obviously clean lines, I would imagine, the beer lines. Okay. And he walked around the van and looked at the windshield. And next thing he pulled off and he looked gobsmacked, a parking ticket. And there was a few guys walking nearby as well unloading. He goes, I'm here in an hour. He was really irate. And I just thought, maybe there's some limit. There's different time limits on the different loading days. But you can't sit in stone. You can't put people on a stopwatch. Especially now, the, 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 the city is just trying to get back on its feet, especially the pub trays. And if he had any distance to go and any gear to carry over and back, because all the alfresco areas down is a good walk away. Yeah. You, you just can't operate on, on those kind of time constraints. I think the traffic 
wardens should show some bit of, of discretion or empathy. And there's there was massive shortage of loading bays anyway in the whole city, in that area in particular. But if they're trying to free up space, that is not the way to do it, to target people that are just trying to put three, three squares a day on the table and keep the businesses running. The, the city has been to hell and back. Still, and a lot of places are still on life support. That is not the way to get us back up and running. Okay, so this was in town yesterday. What street? In, in town, on a loading, outside the English market, on the Grand Parade, the foreign, a, a, a D-Ridge mid-sized van with foreign, it was beer low, uh, I don't know, they're foreign brands, but he was obviously servicing uh, the lines. And, and the lines of uh, beers in, in one of the local yeah, hostelries so, or whatever, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the time limit is. The loading day, some of them, it's 9 to 12 or 30 minutes or 40, but nobody is there, you know, taking the pee. Nobody is expecting to rock up and, and start taking windows out of a building and parking up on a curb or something. But he was in the loading day. He was part legitimate. They must have somehow incurred uh, a stopwatch by some warden and, and got his ticket. That's my, That was my reading of the situation. I, I, didn't, I didn't dally. The guy was uh, obviously... Upset, quite, uh, quite upset. But if that is the way it's going in there, give us give give more space to commercial guys and the businesses. You can't expect he can't park outside whatever place he was working at, and he may have had a good distance to go because there's so much of the area's pedestrianised. He was obviously doing a bar or a restaurant. Yeah, which take, takes away from what was and, available and parking he, before they were pedestrianised. Sorry, there was available parking before they were pedestrianised. Yeah, it's. I mean, if they're going, the, the city has been going this road, pedestrian, cycling, flower pots, parklets, that's fine and dandy, but either, you know, make some arrangement for commercial traffic or, or shut all the businesses down. But it, it, it does beg the point, is is there a time limit on a loading bay? Is, is it one hour? They're all different. I, you can ask somebody who's an expert on that area. It, it could be a 30, 40 minute, could be an hour. I don't know. Maybe he was over by a minute. He, I, I didn't engage. I moved on. But the guy said, I'm here an hour. I'm here. Ba-. He said, I'm here an hour to the guys close by. Mm-hmm. That's it. And, uh, I, I, I'm acquainted with the, the guy in charge of the parking wardens, and he's a lovely guy and very, very yeah. uh, understanding yeah. when it comes to businesses and when it comes to. Uh, you know, yeah. a little bit of leniency yeah. and a little bit of common sense. His name is Eddie Hawkins. Well, he's listening in. This was lunchtime yesterday. They're on one o'clock. Like I say, a D-Ridge, a foreign, foreign beer servicing. That's that means anything. And the guy got a ticket. I was quite upset. And like I say, it doesn't bode well if that's how we're the recovery plan for the for the city and trying to get business done in there. Doesn't okay. look good. All right. Listen, I, I, it's, Thanks, it's hard, hard to comment on one individual case. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. But, 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 but I, I rarely... I, I rarely go through town, but I rarely go through without seeing something like that happening. Okay. Uh, and I know, look, I, I know the guy who runs the, the department. His name is Eddie Hawkins. He's a great guy. Uh, Chelsea sure. supporter. That, 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 that's okay too, isn't it? Uh, and he, ha- he, he has shown uh, in an incident which I had, actually, he yeah. showed some great uh, empathy and common sense. Uh, and I think he would be instilling that in his traffic wardens as well. Uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes you can't be as rigid as the rules would expect you to be. You have to show a little humanity uh, and common sense. And that's what Eddie is all about. So uh, let's see if we can get to the bottom of what happened there. Maybe if the driver's listening, uh, they, can, uh, they can call in. Uh, maybe he was in contravention of the time limit. It's hard to say. But, uh, Sean, thanks for bringing it to our attention.
Okay, bye-bye. Thanks, thanks a million. Final chances now to get texting on 0868104106 for a free food uh, Friday. It's pizza delivered to your home or workplace. It's from Oak Fire Pizza, Real Wood Fire Pizza in Clonakilty, Bandon, Princess Street, Galabi Street and Douglas Village. That will really make a happy Friday for somebody. So 0868104106, tell us who you are, uh, who you want it for and your chance to win. You know that doesn't have to be for yourself. You can recommend it for somebody else that are doing some good in the community or working hard or something. Six large pizzas, garlic bread, potatoes, drinks, dips and desserts for 15 people with Oak Fire Pizza. You can check it all out on oakfirepizza.ie. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. Top of the morning to you and happy Friday from the Neil Prendival Show. This is Mick Mulcahy. It's coming up on 23 minutes to midday. And uh, Frick Murphy joins me on line one. Morning again, Frick. How are you? All right, Mick. How's it going, mate? Very good. Now, you look for the HSE to be scrapped as not fit for purpose. Yeah. I did, Mick, because like, I, when I was in the council, there, like, I, I, we, like we, when we had um, the different boards, you know, like the Southern Health Board, when it was divided up, as such, and it was different here, the Southern Health Board, the Western... Yeah, there was, there was regional accountability. Regional accountability, right? Like, they're the only company, if you can check it out, when they amalgamated, they were the only company to take on people. They had to say, they give you no amalgamation normally, needs jobs, that's it. Yeah, well, well, yeah when, when a company, you know, is subject of a merger and acquisition, uh, mm-hmm. c- certain functions are overlapping and there will be some shedding of staff. Yeah, yeah, but they're management, but I'm all at the top, mate. You know what I mean? So, I know, like, how many boogers are there after making me? Can you check back in their history? But look at the ventilators. Uh, I know, we, we, we were detailing that on the programme during the week. 235 yeah. million worth of ventilators still to be received. Yeah. And when you when yeah. they get them, they're not going to be fit for purpose. They won't be fit for purpose, but so they don't know what to do, mate. They don't know they're asking their elbow. Like, so, Mick, we had a, we had a um, health centre in Passage for years. A small little place now. We actually protest all, but I had to try and save it. But like the HSC said, it wasn't fit for purpose. Like, but we were only looking for the time when I was a council. Like, we were looking for just to change addressing for the elderly people. Because I met a pile of people after, and they weren't actually getting a bus or getting a taxi out to the health centre in Caligline if they were going to use it a lot, which they probably didn't. Yeah, I, I, I was in that I was in that centre many years ago, and there was five or six elderly people waiting there, and uh, they were locals, and they were availing of a local service. Yeah, well, like they pump money into making them. They thought that's one fit for purpose and close it, and the building is still idle, mate. Like I know people getting taxis out. I looked for the time to the same the head of the HSC in Cork County, mate, and I looked for it. I said, look, can you give me when you get up and running in Caligaline because we were out at the councillors they showed us around. I said, when you get up and running, can you give me a list of people from the passage, Monkstone area, and Rochstone that are using your centre? Well, not a bad effect, she said. Yeah. But two weeks later, when I tried again, she said, hey, due to gas and protection, I can't. Oh, uh, okay. Said, no, I not, not look for individual cases, I said. I said oh, just looking for numbers. Yeah, I'm just no, looking for numbers. That's all I mean. I yeah, never you, got up there. You should have that under freedom of information. I know under yeah. GDPR you can't get individual names. If we were out there meeting the, the Christmas out there, I was on Christmas week, and I was sitting down, and the lady in charge there, she was the manager of the centre in Caligula, I know I'm and the head of the HSC phoned her, and they answered, are you on your way? And they answered, oh, yeah, I am. And actually, I heard her saying to the head of the HSC, put on your chat now, you might be able to find the place. 
But she was ahead of the, the money they spent down there, mate. And she would never own that. Wow. She'd get on a sack and have to find the building. So what would you say to those who are in control of what seems to be a very top-heavy management-structured HSE and not fit for purpose at the bottom end, where people are working inordinate hours under incredible stress, massively understaffed at the well, front end. So there has to be a different, there has to set up a different health system, surely. Like, but to see, I suppose it costs too much money you know, to lay them off me. That's what the thing is. You know what I mean? To get rid of them, I would probably have support it. Yeah. But it's going to be on the job. That's my opinion. All right, Frick. And I got a good bit of backing in the council, actually, at the time. But whether it went any further then at the time, which... You were Sinn Féin councillor, Frick, were you? I was, about. Okay. Well, what, what do you make of this motion of no confidence in Simon Coveney? I, I was told oh, to Mary Lou MacDonald about a week ago, right? And I said, look, yeah. you seem to be doing pretty well. You're probably telling your people, keep your noses clean, keep, you know, keep quiet, uh, keep your heads down and they'll mess it up for themselves and, and you'll be home and hosed, was what, was what I said to Mary Lou. But, uh, uh, they put them actually, like, they'll mess it up, like, will anything happen? Like, probably they'll circle the wagons. Or I, 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 I just today, felt Sinn Féin like, would have been better off taking the higher moral ground, I think, you know, this emotional confidence. I, it's, it's going to drag in probably uh, unnecessary promises given to independents to shore up the government so they can win the vote. Oh, uh, well, 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 yeah. But should I mean, Mick Jerry Bottom was on the other day, like, and he, he, he was back in Simon. Jerry was the first flick of break, like, Jerry, Jerry couldn't tell the time in the clock when he walked into God's gate, like. And, and they were on, half of his total on the country. He realised after an hour and a half that it was, oh, I shouldn't be here. So he said, we can't tell the time, but I'm right of it. Frick, we leave it there we'll, and we we'll look at that uh, motion of no confidence with some interest. Well, make, make sorry, the only way before you go, I'm in the old big and ball in Passage Rowan Club. They're going to Portugal. They're the 20 years of this month. There's two crews going over there for the World Championship. Okay. They're actually sitting up to me, she's involved. So if there's anyone wants to go off on me, paid set up. So. And yeah, my, my buddy Barry Sheehan was on about that as well, and I just didn't oh, get around okay. to Where, Where's the, uh, what's, what's the GoFundMe page? It's on a James Coyne, I think, of it set up on Passage Rowing. Passage Rowing, okay. Any support yeah. there uh, for yeah. our would-be world champions would be appreciated. Yeah, because they, 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 they're actually having a fundraising thing on the river as well on the 18th of September, and there's a cup for the Fairer Clan. Cop, you know, that kind of oh yeah, well, what a gentleman. Okay, okay. listen, I, I'm, I'm glad you reminded me, Frick, of that. Th- thanks, and best of luck to all on passage rowing. Thanks, man. Paddy Bullman has his own issues with the health service at the moment. Hi, Paddy. Hi, Mick. What, what's your issue with the health service? My issue with the health service is uh, the non-existence of care for elderly. Um, I just think you just quickly, right? We're a family of six, six, six children. Our mother was 87 years old went into hospital um, with ambulance uh, last last Monday week. That's the 30th of August, okay? Okay. She was admitted to A&E and she spent the first 25, 26 hours on a hospital trolley before she got a bed at all. Yeah, you, know, that, you, you know, any human being yeah. would be saying wow at that. It just doesn't, it, it doesn't generate yeah, that kind of reaction anymore. It is so the norm now. 26 hours, 28 hours, exactly. 30 hours. It is so normal. I have actually I have actually tried and phoned several times to different places all over to try and get a reaction. It is, I've been told that she is actually receiving the best of care. Now, my answer to that is if that is the best of care, yeah, that's, that we can produce, that is an 87-year-old in distress for over 24 hours in a hospital trolley before they get a bit of all. 
it's not in my book uh, the best of care I think it's pure abuse but anyway that was that long she is there now okay and the six of us family trying our damnedest yeah to actually just just see her just to know so that we know we're okay mm-hmm. not one of us has, has, has seen her since she went in we're constantly phoning the numbers that we've been given to the different doctors and carers and the whole you know nurses etc and there is nobody answering phones there it is potluck if we get through it all. In the nearly two weeks or 10 days now or 11 days since that has happened, we have once or twice gotten through to somebody. And then it's just the same thing, information over again. Paddy, Paddy, this isn't the first time we've covered exactly the same story for somebody else. And our appeal on the air for somebody to pick up the woman's phone uh, the last time and to get it on charge so it could be actually answered by her. Um, uh, r- rang through to a caring member of staff who not only got the phone charged but rang back the family and got their mum to speak to them. Yeah, we've tried it. We've tried that as well. Unfortunately, with my mum, which is another issue, another part of it is she appears to be at the beginning of dementia. Okay, mm-hmm. so she she won't use the phone, won't or can't, or but for whatever reasons, you know, we we can't get her on her own phone. We, she already does have her own phone, and we have kept it charged. And we've been trying constantly to ring that number as well, you know. Okay. Now, once or twice, we did get her on her own phone, but um, she wasn't looking too well, actually. You know, when we could see her, she didn't sound too well either. You know, so wh- where do you go from here, Penny? What can you do? Uh, what I would like you to see is the thing is, what we're dealing with all the time is we're constantly phoning people that are telling us they run off their feet, you know that there are, uh, you know, with intakes into the hospital and things like that. Now, she went up, as I say, on a Monday, on, on a Tuesday morning at 7 o'clock right and early, I was up outside A&E trying to get in to see her. She's my mother, you know, and I wanted to see her. Uh, I was there for about two hours. There's no shortage of security and everything else to keep me out of there. But in that two hours, I didn't see anything happening at all around the, the emergency department. There was no ambulance that came in while I was there. I'm just wondering what they run off their fees with. But either way, okay. I know that these people are frontline staff that are looking after my mother now and they have to listen to me phoning constantly and constantly on their case. What bugs me is about it is it, 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 these are the wrong people that I'm getting. They have to put up with me, you know, complaining about the, 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 the conditions and the, and the lack of care and the total lack of you know, total lack of, uh, of respect and yeah, dignity, yeah. I suppose, for the people who are there. Exactly. Even, look, respect even though those, I, I know people working in the A and E, and they are absolutely at the end of their tether, mentally, emotionally, physically drained from yeah, trying to keep exactly. up with yeah, what's coming what at them. To, no, that's why I want to come in and say that. You know, I want to know it's not in my mass. I want to get at the person that is causing this. Yeah, that has caused this total and utter disgraceful service that is there now. Total lack of health care or total lack of elderly care. The ones responsible for that are not the ones up there on the front line that have to listen to it all and all the complaints and everything else. It's the ministers and everything else that's behind them and they don't have to deal with it at all. They leave it over to these frontline staff to take the brunt of all this. You know, I want to get at them. Yeah, Paddy, it's, it's, it's obviously very yeah. emotional for you. I can tell you're very upset, but we're, we are going to contact the HSE on your behalf and see if we can get uh, some sort of proper contact bef- between you and your mum, okay? 
that would be great, you know. All right, listen, hang hang in there. It's not easy for anybody, and I know exactly uh, it can't be easy for you. I can feel the emotion in your voice. Th- thanks yeah. for coming on with that emotion and for, and, for, and for telling us your story, and I understand no you're problem. upset. Thanks a million, Paddy. No problem. Thanks, All right. Thanks, thanks, thanks bye-bye. Now, uh, on a lighter note, let's go to Mayo and to David McGrath. You're up in Mayo, David? Good morning, Mick. Good to hear you. What's the buzz like up there? Absolutely rocking. This is buzzing. Okay, Mayo playing Tyrone, of course, in the All-Ireland Football Final. It's on uh, It's on Saturday, isn't it? I'm up here. Yeah, it's on Saturday. I'm up here since Tuesday. Um, I'm up here since Tuesday, Mick. Four days and... There's not a building or a house that hasn't got a flag or some something green and red up. Even the cathedral has flags halfway up the building. Even the sheep in the side of the road in the fields are green and red. <laughs> and what what about uh, the curse? Is is the curse going to prevail yet again? There's no curse, Mick. No. No, the curse. What happened was in 1951 they were coming through Foxford. And there was a fu- there was supposed to be a funeral on. That's what the course is all about. And the, and the team bypassed. They said the funeral and never stopped to show their respect. Right. Right. But the team said, because on the papers up here on Mayor John the week, they said that they passed through the main street at the time, and the church wherever the funeral was supposed to be on was probably a, a half a mile away. That they knew nothing about the funeral uh, until maybe until, until the course came out. But having said that, records have been checked to see was there a funeral in Foxford on the day the team came back. And all records show there was no funeral. The yeah, whole the, thing is a whole. There's one, one of those team members still alive. He must feel under particular Paddy pressure. Pernigas. Yeah. Paddy Pernigas, he's 95, he's still alive, yeah. Okay. Uh, what, what are the chances for Mayo, do you think? They haven't had... Uh, well, Mick, oh, I, 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 I'm decked out on green and red and I had the jersey and everything, but I'd love to be here for the weekend because the, if you were up here on a Saturday for the final league, I say the, the, the atmosphere in the town, like, and all over Baranagh would be like nothing like you'd ever seen before, isn't it? All right, well, listen, enjoy it. You get but, a ticket but, yourself. Well, I'm not going to the match because I'm, heading, I'm actually heading back to Cork. I do, but uh, Mayo, I don't see Mayo losing uh, because I'll tell you why, Mick. This, uh, on Saturday, will be their fourth time playing in Cork Park since last December. They were in the final last December against Dublin. They were in the Connick final two, two, two and a half months ago in Cork Park. They played Dublin a month ago in Croke Park, and now they're playing Tyrone tomorrow in Croke Park. So Croke Park experience is huge. It's a huge advantage. Um, and as well as that, I don't think Tyrone, I was good as people are making them out to me because Kelly the last day were absolutely shocking. They never showed up. They didn't play, and they still only got beaten by a point. So... I don't see me losing a Saturday. I find I'd be very surprised if they were. All right, we'll keep an eye on that one. David McGrath and Mayo, the buzz being electric there. Mayo playing uh, Tyrone in the All Ireland final on Saturday, five p.m. Thanks a million. Thanks, Mike. Cheers, bye-bye. Now, I want to finish up with a song for the uh, weekend, the sad and poignant weekend that's in it, uh, with the 20th anniversary of uh, 9-11. But first, Free Food Friday for Bar 1 Racing and Evergreen Road in Turner's Cross. All the staff are simply the best and very good to me. Lunch for all at Horgan's Kerry Pike. The garage is there. Uh, I know that garage. Nice guys up there. All the girls uh, here in Little Island Dental Surgery would love some pizzas to brighten our day and break our diets. Uh, hi, Mick. It's been a busy week for the barbers in Image Barbers. They'd love pizza to celebrate a promotion this week loads of hard work dedication 
and overtime calls uh, for some pizza. I make some lovely Oak Fire pizza, please, would be amazing for all the staff here in TNA Building Supplies in Blackpool. From Paul the Angry Runner, any chance of some pizza from the electrical department in Smurfit Kappa? Thanks, says Declan. DPD Depot 27 in Dunmanway, also looking for it as well. But the winner is, and I have it here, uh, can you please consider my daughter Erica Lynch and her colleagues Carlos, Lee and Orla working hard at Chair Artistry of Hair on George's Keep for Food Friday. They'd love some oak for our pizza. Thanks from Big Dave. Well, Big Dave, you are going to be the hero now because you have won that fantastic prize from Oak Fire Pizza. Available in Clonakilty, Bandon, Princess Street, Galabi Street and Douglas Village, oakfirepizza.ie. And you're going to get six pizzas, uh, garlic bread, potatoes, drinks, dips and desserts uh, for 15 people. So a uh, nice one and well done to all concerned there. And thanks to Oak Fire Pizza at oakfirepizza.ie for that continuing wonderful promotion. That just about wraps up the Neil Prendable show for me. Uh, my thanks to Imar Ohe Martin and the wonderful production staff here on the Neil Prendable Show for making the last seven days so easy to present for me. And in memory of all those who, of those who lost their lives uh, with the anniversary coming up tomorrow, it's a very poignant song from Don Henley. Harry got up, just down in black. Joined lead singer with the Eagles, Don Henley, and over the last 20 years, that song has been performed at the 9-11 memorials and has become synonymous with the tragic day. It's Don Henley's New York Minute. As the title implies, the song is about how quickly and drastically life can change. And the underlying message is to treasure the good things you have because they could be gone tomorrow. My uh, last mention to the show's most loyal listener, and that's Olive Kelly and O'Growney Crescent, who's always listening to the Neil Prendeville show. This has been the, the last seven shows with me, Mick Mulcahy. Neil Prendeville returns for normal service on Monday morning. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.